This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the show. Dr. Matt here. Your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Happy November 1st, by the way. And uh, post-Halloween hangover. Are y'all sugared up there, Jeffrey? I barely made it in today. (laughs) (laughs) I saw saw your your pockets were just full of little candy bars. Yeah, melted chocolate. (laughs) Yeah. Is that what's all over your shirt? Melted chocolate. Yeah. It's... um, it's funny, I, I must be getting old, because it didn't, uh, I wasn't as into the kids' candy last night. Me neither. What's the whole, happening? The whole time, I just kept thinking, I want something savory and salty. Yeah. I want a slice of pizza. Really? Yeah, there was a delivery guy that drove by, and it made me salivate. That guy. You know, now they, I saw a bunch of kids wearing a pizza costume. There were slices of pizza, and I just wanted to take a bite out of them. Is that weird? But you didn't. Well, let's say oh. we, let's just say I didn't for radio purposes. Okay. Welcome to the show, folks. Holy cannolis! Oh no, it's not cannoli day. It's what day? Where'd my days go? Oh, it's uh, calzone day. National calzone day. Oh, nothing better than a great, just perfect calzone. Speaking of pizza, mm, yeah, exactly. You, you brought could, up a good point, though. Maybe you, just a regular pizza is better than a calzone. You could order a pizza. Yeah, no, it's not fold the it, same. Fold it in half, and you mm. have a calzone. But see, that's just still too much crust. See, calzones are a little depends on where you go. Thinner crust. Now, granted, you get the whole deep dish thing. Yeah, that's just a loaf of bread. But ah, uh, National Calzone Day. Take the delicious toppings and the cheese of a pizza and tuck it in a tight, warm, garlicky, crusty package. Mmm. That sounds like a uh, hot pocket. I can't remember where me and my wife went, but we ordered the calzone and they bring it out, and it is a heavy plate. It is like I should not be eating this much food at this one time. Yeah, where was that? I want you to remember that place because I really think we ought to go there for lunch. We could, except you wouldn't have to eat dinner, breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and then you'd have to wait till like the third day to eat. Wow. Yeah. That's a three day or. I know. It's a good meal. By the way, do you guys know where. the pizza and the calzone originated. Did they have a common ancestor? They did. Wow. Well, they had a common, yeah. I think it originated from a delivery uh, a delivery guy accidentally <laughs> dropping the pizza. <laughs> he tripped on the way to the door. <laughs> okay, I got your calzone here. Oh, sir. Jimmy Calzone. We're offering a new product tonight. <laughs> it, it originated in Naples. Really? I'm hoping that that's Italy, not Florida. Nice. Just to get it out there. Not that, not that there's nothing wrong with Naples, Florida. It's beautiful. Right. It's um, Florida. It's Florida. All Saints it might Day. Smell. It was a story we had yesterday. There's yeah, that was a bad smell in Florida. I hope right. they figured that out. Yeah. Check the calzone. <laughs> it's All Saints Day, also known as All Hallows Day, Hallow Moss, Feast of All Saints, or Solemnity of All Saints. You know what tomorrow is? Uh, Wednesday. I believe it's Day of the Dead. Really? We'll talk about that tomorrow. Scary. It's a Christian fe- uh, All Saints Day is a Christian festival celebrated in honor of all saints, known and unknown. Unknown? I mean, a lot of. I mean, you're a saint. Yeah. Well, your wife is a saint. Yeah, she's really the one. That, she's the saint. Yeah. I think real. you're a couple of miracles away from becoming a saint. 
Don't you have to perform like five miracles? Yeah. So I'm exactly five away. I, I didn't. That's that's coming from you. I was goals. a little more generous. I, I'd give you four and a half. What miracles have I you performed? Perf- you pulled off last week with Jeffrey. That was a miracle. Nobody was maimed. That or was marred. that and was only, five miracles. That only was five two shows. people were fired. It was great. And really, that was fun. To really, through. they were on the verge of being fired. Anyway, we were going to fire them. <laughs> we just waited till you were gone, so it looked better. That's really good. Thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Thanks for. I know you like the miracle. Any negativity you yeah. don't want to be around. I don't want to so. take it on. Uh, it's also Extra Mile Day. This is the day for soul searching, shifting personal goals for the better, volunteering, expressing gratitude. Go the extra mile today. Mm. Do, do you know what I did yesterday? What? Nothing. See? That's why you're not a saint. I just went home. I had all these plans. Just no. didn't happen. But you took your son out trick-or-treating. I did. How'd that go? He got a milk bone dog biscuit from somebody. I don't know who. What was he dressed as? I, he was Batman. Okay, well, that was And rude. he walks up and he goes, Dad, I just got a dog bone. I go, no, you didn't. Come on. We get home, there's a dog bone in there. <laughs> now what? you got to get a dog. So I just, you know, you chuck the dog bone. I looked at it like, is this some sort of gag candy? Yeah. And now it was a dog bone. You know, I'm at a stage where I just send my kids out. I was going to give it to my kid because it cleans the teeth of the dog, right? Then my oh, yeah. kid doesn't have to brush his teeth when we get him right to bed. No. No. No, because then he, then once he starts scratching, mm-hmm. like with his leg, that's weird. You got to watch that. Um, we got a great show for you today. Uh, we always talk about the Rust Belt and how the Rust Belt is struggling. Certain states, you know, their oil industry is dying. Yes. Oklahoma's imploding because they keep fracking. If and you remember, uh, now they're well, having earthquakes. Hillary Clinton's having problems in West Virginia. She's had problems this entire yeah. election cycle because she said she was going to shut down and shut put the down coal miners the out coal of business. Miners. And they're all like, really? Okay, we'll vote for Trump. She also came out and said she's going to do a huge push on green energy, clean energy. And so we wanted today to talk about will clean energy actually create the millions of jobs she says it will. The rest of her comment about the coal mines was they replace it with green energy. Yeah. And And, and, no one remembered that part. No, that's the part you don't remember. But are they actually going to take those jobs to West Virginia? It seems like you got to go I mean, you, with yeah. coal miners, you go where the coal is. Yes. But green energy, you could go anywhere. Sometimes this uh, discussion of green energy and then the jobs that come out of it kind of feels like wishful thinking at times. Yeah. It seems like, well, like, this will just happen. It'll follow. It'll be the natural progression of this. And sometimes it's it's kind of questionable. We'll learn if it well, is or not. And remember, President Obama invested more money than any president in history on green energy. And then we had problems of Solyndra, mm-hmm. uh, billions of dollars just disappearing, gone. And so is this just more of the same? I There's something to it because if we are going to be driving all of these self-driving cars – that are that are all going to be green electric, and they're clean. They're electric, yes. Yeah. Then it seems like there's going to be jobs in that. Yeah, that the coal plants making the electricity apparently. <laughs> Other than coal, maybe, oh. or, or maybe clean burning coal. <sighs> that can happen. Coal is coal. Well, we've Direct had we, no, we had a guy too. on the show from BYU that's that can create clean coal. Yeah, but it still kicks out some frozen iceberg of toxic. Oh, sure, goo. but you just I mean, send you that, that? To, you just send that to another place. Just send it to some state that wants it. Yeah, right. We'll talk that the green and green and clean, green and clean. Uh, all that fun, plus of course other information. Some of which you you might even need to know.
Not all of it, but some of it. But first, let's get to the headlines around the rest of the country with Sadie Nielsen. Sadie, what's going on? In one final shot at his former primary rival, Donald Trump, Ohio Governor John Kasich wrote in Arizona Senator John McCain for president. According to a Cleveland.com report on Monday, the governor's political spokesman confirmed Kasich cast his ballot for the 2008 Republican nominee, even though he is not an official write-in for candidate for president in Ohio. Hillary Clinton addressed last Friday's revelation that the FBI opened a probe into a new batch of emails possibly related to her use of a private email server, telling an Ohio crowd that there is no case here. Speaking Monday at Kent University, uh, the Democratic nominee said she is confident the federal agency will reach the same conclusion reached in July. There is no case here. The former secretary reiterated once again that it was a mistake for her to use a private server while serving in the State Department. Democratic Party officials on Monday filed lawsuits in Pennsylvania, Nevada, Arizona, and Ohio federal courts in an attempt to stop a campaign of voter intimidation by Donald Trump and Republican Party officials. The suits say that Trump is urging supporters to watch the polls in cities with high minority populations like Philadelphia for voter fraud, which amounts to harassment of minorities and violates the Voting Rights Act of 1965. And finally, yes, in your post-Halloween news... A California man surprised his dog by dressing up as a life-size version of one of its favorite toys. Ben Ben Machez shared a video of his dog Jolene playing with her favorite Gumby toy just before he entered the room dressed in a Gumby costume. (laughs) Jolene makes her favorite toy come to life, Ben said. Jolene immediately took notice of the life-size Gumby, raising her head up from her toy as she approached Ben and stood on her hind legs. <laughs> Jolene then happily attacked her new life-size chew toy as Ben deemed the idea the best possible use for my Gumby suit. Oh. Now Cute. that's the real totally way to use your the, costumes. The ER with dog bites. So how how did you lose your finger? <laughs> well, I was pretending to be my dog's favorite toy. How fun. That's cute, Sadie. It's real cute. Sadie, did you dress up for Halloween or were you just too sick? No, I Halloween's not my thing. <laughs> Isn't it? Does it scare you? Actually, yeah. I'm I'm a really big baby when it comes to scary things. I we did watch a scary movie last night though. Oh, what which one? Um it's called 1408. Oh, wow. Have you ever heard that John one? John Cusack, Samuel Jackson. Apparently yeah. one of us has watched it. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen King novel. Uh, did you like it? Yeah, it was really good. Most of it wasn't super scary until the very end scene, of course, when you're not expecting it. And then they <laughs> popped out with the scary burnt guy. So that was great. Oh, Spoiler. Scary burnt guy. <laughs> oh, sorry, crazy. Terry. I was going to watch it. didn't know you were going to watch it. it I watched this, the scariest <laughs> movie I've ever seen last night. What was that? Goosebumps? Uh, 27 Dresses. Wow. Ooh. Wow. <gasps> Why did Chills. you? Why'd you do that? I you have well, to work the next day. What I are you know, doing? I was up all night just thinking of dresses. The only thing worse than that is like hope floats or something. <laughs> <laughs> Eat, pray, live. What's that one called? Eat, pray, love. Eat, pray, love. Eat, pray, love. Yeah. Hey, I watched a movie called Buried. Do you know what that's about? Being buried alive. Uh, was it about wild guests? Yes. Sadie's right. Being oh. buried alive. Ryan, it's basically a one man show with Ryan Reynolds. Oh, geez. Where he's buried alive, trying to get out for 90 minutes. Why would you watch these shows when you could watch 27 It was dresses? free. Yeah. It was free. That's always a great answer. <laughs> I watch Monday Night Football. Apparently, you're one of the only ones. Yeah. We'll talk about that later. Golly. 
Skins. So you had the dual screen with Monday Night Football and 27 Dresses? Uh-huh. And uh, my wife was watching The Voice. Hmm. Good choice. And I pretty much fell asleep right there, just sitting there. Wow. <sighs> Sounds like an exciting night, Matt. Halloween's really boring because as a grandpa, I went to my granddaughter's birthday party, and then I was exhausted. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot By to tell you, Matt. Yeah. Um, your Twitter followers wanted yes. you to dress up as Harambe. Did the they? gorilla. Uh, so did you fulfill it's, their you wishes? You know what? Oh, no. I didn't. That's okay. Didn't. Next year. Next year. But You could still get in a gorilla costume, take a photo. And you know what? We, we, knew, we do need to talk more about Harambe because he's legendary. He's he turning deserves, into a thing. He deserves he's turning more into respect. There's, big thing. there's baseball players that they have Harambe cleats. For the, for the World Series, and there's football players that are getting fined because they're wearing these. Those are the ones from Cleveland. Um, Isn't that where Harambe was killed? I think so. But they have cleats, and you, they'll say, like, long live Harambe or whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. really you didn't want to get shot. I thought that's why you didn't wear That was it. That was totally it. I wonder if there were many clowns out last night. I saw one. Kid came to the door, and I go, wow, you're brave. And he goes, what? And I go, people are going to punch you in the face. You're a clown. And he goes, yeah, whatever. Quit clowning around. I'm like, all right. He didn't care. No, he was very defiant. Then he's like, give me the candy. I gave him more candy. I said, this is for your trouble. That See, I wanted to quit. That's why you're not a saint. Night. That's why he's not a saint yet. I'm getting there. Next Halloween, you can redeem yourself. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, uh, Hillary Clinton has been in the news. Sort of, yes. Have she guys, has? Have you guys been paying attention to that? Yeah. I have never seen. This is a full-on assault on James Comey. Everybody from the Democratic Party that's a bad move. hates James Comey, apparently. It's a bad move. Yeah. Just to act like it. I, I saw, is it Alan Dershowitz? Yeah. He was speaking on, uh, what's that show? The Kelly File on uh-huh. Fox News. And he was talking, he said, what the Democrats should do is just ignore this. By by attacking the yeah, FBI you just director, keep bringing it up. you're giving it more credence, keeping it in the news if you just let it go. Right. And well, he, he, and, says, he says to begin with, if the FBI director did make an announcement, he should said, this is just me following through with my responsibilities to report on this case. And this, isn't I don't that what know he did? And but did he, he just he, reported it to Congress. But he didn't say that he didn't know anything. He left that part out. He should have said, I know nothing about what's I in these emails. Nothing. We just know there yeah. are more emails. Yeah. And instead, he left it sort of vague. And so everyone runs with it as if there's a brand new investigation. And. It's not. It's part of another investigation, but whatever. Yeah. Details. It's, yeah. I know nothing. Nothing. That's what he should have said. Like Colonel, so she's like trying Colonel to, or Schultz. She's trying to keep her uh, her followers and her supporters energized through this tough, tough time. Well, here's, here's basically the fallout. Um, Hillary Clinton tries to clear it up. Now they apparently want to look at emails of one of my staffers, and by all means, uh, they should look at them. And I am sure they will reach the same conclusion they did when they looked at my emails for the last year. There is no case here. I think most people have decided a long time ago what they think about all of this. Yes. Yeah, they do. They think it's a fiasco. Yeah. (laughs) And um, there is no case here. Sure, There's no case. Right. But she doesn't know what's in the emails either. Right. There's no case here. It's just we had to hide the emails on a server that was private, even though all of her work emails should have been public. 
They should have been sure. retrievable by the government for the FOIA records. And she's apologized for all of this. Right. But there's no problem here. What she's saying is it's probably duplicates. They probably have already probably seen du- all these emails. Yeah, right, duplicates. It's fine. Not a problem. She's just trying to make – just put out fires. Where did Uma Abedin go? She's at her house. I've watched not, her There's the not news. a problem here at all, but Uma she's has take, now officially she's take, disappeared she's from the campaign. She's taking a couple days for herself. So her right-hand person is gone. Yeah. Well, she has She's a just taking a per- personal day. She has a backup right-hand person. She has three right hands. <laughs> so uh, Hillary is basically saying there's no case here. Trump, on the other hand – If Hillary is elected, she would be under protracted criminal investigation, likely followed by the trial of a sitting president. This is just, hey, this is just what we need. The investigation will last for years. Nothing will get done. Government will grind to a halt. Hmm. So the Trump University case is like late November that begins. So he'll be in court, too. So So either either way, way, the neat thing is either presidential (laughs) candidate will be in court. Um, But what does the White House say about all of this? The president's assessment of his integrity and his character uh, has not changed. For example, the president doesn't believe that Director Comey is intentionally trying to influence the outcome of an election. The president doesn't believe that he's secretly strategizing to benefit one candidate or one political party. He's in a tough spot. Hmm. So... So the president supports his pick as the yeah, FBI, but then looks at him and to, says, eh, it's your deal. Fix and it. they're not going to defend it. And no. they're not going to they're just going to let it be. It's, it is what it is. Yeah. Now, what if he comes out and there is incredibly damaging evidence and he releases that in three days? Then what does everyone say? Or what if there is nothing there? He's like, yeah, nothing. Yeah. Just a lot of stuff about yoga and Pilates. Well, it's hard when you have one candidate claiming everything's fixed. Do we know how many people vote by mail or in advance? 20 million have you, already voted. Yeah, that's the number So wow. that they're estimating is 20 million. Hmm. That's a lot of peeps. So those people just have to accept uh, whatever happens. Redo. They're all like. Yeah. They, ah. They've made up their mind. They probably aren't, wouldn't be swayed either way, more than likely. I'm holding on to mine. I haven't sent mine in yet, so I'll wait. Hold on to it. You never know. (sighs) The neat thing, folks, it's one week from today. Election day is in seven days. One week. Tuesday. (laughs) It's getting closer. (sighs) We will take a break. When we come back, we're talking about clean energy. Will it create all of the economic boom that we think it will? Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. As of yesterday, hundreds of thousands of people used the Facebook uh, check 
in feature uh, to show solidarity with those who are protesting the Dakota Access Pipeline. This oil line will carry 470,000 gallons of oil across four states every day and will come near the northeast corner of the Standing Rock Indian Reservation. Government leaders and developers argue that the DAPL will start an economic boom, lessening the U.S. reliance on imported oil. Tribal leaders and supporters argue that the oil line will have the potential to damage important cultural sites and contaminate the drinking water of the tribe and several thousand of the people who rely on the Missouri River for drinking water. Is the DAPL and the answer the answer to our economic woes? Is green energy the answer to the boom and a creation of a boom in the economy? Is it real or is it just an illusion? Well, here to speak with us today is Dr. Heidi Garrett Peltier. She's an assistant research professor in the Political Economy Research Institute at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. And uh, we're so honored to have her with us today. Dr. Heidi Garrett Peltier, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks a lot for having me, Matt. Is okay, clean energy, um, first, I guess, define for us what is clean energy? Uh, Well, that's a good question because I don't think there's necessarily one standard definition, but uh, clean energy generally is taken to include both renewable energy and energy efficiency. Um, So it's uh, energy that has lower carbon emissions, um, things like wind, solar, geothermal power, hydropower, um, and to some extent, bioenergy, but it depends on what kind of bioenergy we're talking about. Some bioenergy can have high emissions um, and then some uh, much lower emissions than fossil fuels. But generally, we're talking about energy that has low carbon emissions. So when we talk about then a a clean um, energy economy, we're talking about building a financial economy around all of these and growing all of these uh, more, I guess, sustainable, cleaner energies. That's right. Yeah, we're talking about using less energy in general, so making our our energy system more efficient. Um, So we we minimize the losses in uh, a lot of the energy that we use. And then um, when we do use energy that we're using, cleaner energy, uh, energy that that burns um, less carbon. And, and Hillary Clinton in her campaign is saying, in a way, it sounds like must, much like um, Barack Obama, President Obama did, that she's going to come in and she's going to be the, the clean energy president and create millions of jobs through clean energy. I hope so. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, what, that's the goal, right? That's what she's saying. Is it feasible? Um, is, is there money to be made? Are there jobs to be made really in the clean energy world? Absolutely, absolutely. And, um, you know, the, the, the campaign promises that we hear from the Clinton campaign of clean energy having the potential to create millions of jobs, uh, the research shows that that is actually true, that, um, you know, clean energy, as I said, includes both renewable energy and energy efficiency. And both of those industries have uh, a lot of potential to create manufacturing jobs, manufacturing uh, the 
the components that go into wind turbines, manufacturing solar panels, manufacturing the, the various energy efficiency technologies. Uh, so those, that kind of revitalization of our manufacturing sector can happen as we're creating clean energy technologies. And then installing clean energy is something that can happen nationwide. So not just installing solar panels on roofs or uh, utility fields, um, or installing wind turbines, but making our buildings more efficient. Every community has inefficient buildings that can be weatherized, that can be made more efficient. Um, homes, commercial buildings, um, in industrial facilities, um, that can happen nationwide. So there, there really is a huge potential for job creation that is really geographically dispersed. Because I mean, really what we're talking about would be to some degree and to some percentage, the replacement of the fossil fuel industry. Right, right. So there, um, you know, what the climate science says is that over the next 20 years, we need to bring down our carbon emissions by 40 percent. And the only way to do that is to have some retrenchment of our fossil fuel industry. So some cutting back of oil, cutting back coal use, cutting back uh, natural gas to some extent, although that's the, the cleanest of the three fossil fuels. Um, but uh, fossil fuel production will need to come down and be replaced by clean energy. Mm. So if I'm a coal miner in West Virginia and I'm hearing that, oh boy, green and clean, <laughs> great, Is what should they be thinking? Um, uh, let's say that they're a 30-year-old, their their family grew up in the coal industry, but they're younger. They, the future, if the future is going green and clean, is it – there is an economy for them there. there there's some, there. There is a job. There is a pathway for them. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, to, to the extent that they can really get behind the transition to the clean energy economy, um, there will be, you know, more hope for creating industries within their communities. So if we think about um, where to situate manufacturing plants, you know, as we, um, as we create more and more renewable energy technologies and uh, energy efficiency technologies that need to be manufactured, we can, we can locate those plants in the communities that are most likely to lose jobs from fossil fuel. So if we create a manufacturing facility in West Virginia that uh, coal miners can be retrained and work in those facilities, um, that, that's one of the ways that we can sort of soften the blow and give people a chance to, to move into an industry that really has potential for the future. Um, and so, so to the extent that coal miners can be um, sort of at the table when we're discussing how to transition to this clean energy economy, they will be better off. Um, but the, the other thing to keep in mind is that not everybody's 30 years old who's a coal miner. Right. So we do need to think about the people who are closer to retirement who are not going to be retraining for a new industry. And um, so there's work being done, including here at this institute, um, around the concept of a just transition. So thinking about how do we make these workers whole, how do we make these communities whole so that they're not just losing um, from moving to a clean energy economy. So mm. whether that is um, funding 
a program to pay people for early retirement so that they are just as well off as they would be if they could continue in their coal mining job. Um, so thinking about how do we soften the blow, how do we make the, the communities and the individuals just as well off as they would be while also doing something to advance um, the, the cause of clean energy and sustainability. Is it because um, it's a big risk, right? If because you're going to need money to to help with this adjust transition stuff, um, is it? I, I guess a concern I have is it seems like a lot of money was invested by President Obama uh, to kind of spark the clean energy movement, and then uh, stories came out of that, like Solyndra and others. Are those was was the investment by President Obama? a successful investment? Did did it glean great lessons and was it productive or was it overall more just stories of Solyndra? No, I'm so glad you bring that up because Solyndra is the, the name that we most associate with um, the sort of failure of a government yeah. program. So Solyndra was a solar manufacturing plant that got a loan guarantee through the Department of Energy through the, um, the stimulus package from 2009. And Solyndra went bankrupt. And all we've heard about is this program doesn't work. Look, this company went bankrupt. Meanwhile, Solyndra and other companies like that only made up 2% of all the loans that went out through the loan guarantee program. Mm. So the other 98% have been successful. And as of even as of a couple years ago, as of 2014, um, the the bankruptcy of Solyndra and uh, I think one or two other companies came out to less than um, 800 million dollars of lost uh, loan repayments from the from the loan guarantee program, and the payment on the interest of all the successful loans made by the Department of Energy came out to more than $800 million. So mm. even as of a couple of years ago, the American taxpayer is already ahead, um, that we've already brought in more in successful loan repayments than the, the losses. But we've only ever heard of the losses. So I'm, I'm really yeah. glad to brought that up. Yeah, because it really, yeah, it seems like it's just a uh... Cylinder is the one that everyone could hang their hat on, right? And and exactly. so everybody's like, yeah, see, it's a failure. In the end, I guess, is it – why – I mean, I'm thinking if I've got coal in all of these states and I've already got infrastructure, I already have transportation, trucking, I've got the people there, it's working. Isn't there a way to do both while we're moving into – uh, kind of a cleaner energy. Isn't there a way to to create cleaner uh, coal plants to create and use some of our advancing technology to create cleaner systems in the places that already exist while we're ramping up the others? Well, you know, from my perspective, we don't want to be expanding the fossil fuel industries in any way because that's not going to get us closer to our climate goals. Um, but one thing to keep in mind is when we hear numbers like. 40% reduction in uh, fossil fuel use, you know, that's not something that's going to happen overnight. This is a 40-year program. So, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, a 20-year program. So, so the reductions in fossil fuels, um, coal specifically, there's going to be a small amount of job loss each year. It's not going to be a, a major industrial shift. Um, and while that's happening, we're ramping up our production of clean energy, we're becoming more energy efficient, um, 
there will still be coal production. We're not talking about eliminating the coal industry, and I think that's that's one thing uh, that's kind of a common misperception of, oh, we're just going to get rid of fossil fuels. That That's not going to happen. And over 20 years, you know, even uh, a reduction as big as 40%, when we break it down year by year, is not going to be huge. Is it, I, I guess, in the end, is um, fossil fuel more economically viable than um, the viability of clean energy? Or which one dollar for dollar produces better results, better returns on the investment? If I had to, if I had to go produce or go invest in fossil fuel or currently invest in clean energy, which one would would be a better investment? Well, that's a good question, and I would say it depends on what your position is. If you're a, um, you know, a fossil fuel producer, uh, or if you're someone who uh, is profiting from fossil fuels, of course you're you're going to want to invest in fossil fuels. But in terms of, um, you know, that the average American, we are better off investing in clean energy. Um, one of the the major concerns um, in our economy is job creation, and if we think about each million dollars or each billion dollars that we could spend either on clean energy or on fossil fuels, um, clean energy creates a lot more jobs for any given amount of spending than fossil fuels do. Um, And those jobs are in a range of occupations, so manufacturing and construction and all the support services that go into that. you know, uh, accounting and uh, engineering and all of that. Um, so, so clean energy produces more jobs per million dollars than fossil fuel would per million. Right, right. It's about two and a half times as many jobs for each million dollars. What, now, why is that? Well, part of it is just the labor intensity. So if we think about out of the total spending, how much of that spending goes to workers and how much of it goes to capital, meaning how much of it goes to plants and equipment, Mm -hmm. um, clean energy is more labor intensive. So uh, specifically in the construction sector, um, more of the total spending goes to hiring workers. Whereas if you picture something like an oil rig and uh, the the amount of money that needs to go into supporting equipment versus supporting um, wages and mm. labor, um, fossil fuels, oil in particular, is one of the most capital-intensive industries in the economy. So it produces fewer jobs for any amount of spending. Well, and it also... If you if you look at the future and you I I always just think of these self automated driving cars and every I just went on a trip with my kids and my greatest newfound love is the fact that on every airplane I can plug in my um, laptop now and I can charge my phone while I'm sitting in my seat and I can watch entertainment the entire time I sit there and I think that's just all energy being consumed and. The future, it seems like, is going to be battery-powered, solar-powered, clean cars, clean future, clean engines, clean everything. Right, right. And I think especially in the U.S. where things are so um, uh, spread out geographically, you know, clean cars, um, increasing miles per gallon, moving to electrical vehicles, um, all of those are going to be kind of our – main uh, the main way we clean our transportation system as opposed to um, you know pu- public and 
excuse me, public transportation is going to be important and improving our rail lines is going to be important. But, um, but in the U.S. in particular, cleaning up, uh, making our, our vehicles more efficient is mm. going to be a main way that we can clean our transportation sector. Ah, so much to learn. Um, Heidi, let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Heidi Garrett-Peltier, and she is uh, talking to us about the past, the present, the future of clean energy She is um, an assistant research professor in the Political Economy Research Institute at the University of Massachusetts Amherst and is walking us through what a low-carbon economy might look like. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion. Find out what you can do to retool your life to get ready for this cleaner uh, economy. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you become the best you can. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Is clean energy the answer to our economic woes? Could it add, uh, you know, more than $1 million worth of spending per? I mean, when you think about it, you invest a million dollars. Are you going to get 15 jobs per million? Are you going to get 100 jobs per million? Well, according to our guest today, uh, Heidi Garrett-Peltier, she's teaching us that when it comes to investing a million dollars in clean energy, you're going to get more jobs out of the clean energy investment than you would out of the fossil fuel um, investment, just simply because of how they do business. One's more asset you know, investment. You have to invest in the mine, in the ground. You have to invest in the machinery. And uh, the other is one that you have to invest in manufacturing. you got to create solar panels. So when we think about changing the economy and we think about investing in clean energy, a lot of people will have a bad taste in their mouth because it is displacing many workers around the country. But if it's also part of the future, if it's the key to the future, then it might be time to, to start learning what we can do about it. Dr. Heidi Garrett-Peltier is joining us today. Again, she's an assistant research professor in the Political Economy Research Institute at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Thank you so much, Heidi, for being with us. Thanks very much for having me. So if I'm uh, just any, any worker in the you know, kind of fossil fuel industry, and it's sad because, like, you know, they've moved to other techniques of fracking and other ways. And uh, it seemed like the oil industry was having a boom. And then it was even impacting oil prices around the country. And then OPEX did all their crazy stuff. And now all of a sudden puts a lot of workers out of business here in the U.S. I guess having a clean energy economy would eliminate this global gamesmanship. Well, it's true. It, it would eliminate a lot of vulnerability. So there's the, the gamesmanship that comes from, from OPEC, from oil-producing regions, um, their ability to, to manipulate the price of oil. And we are all, you know, not just people working in the fossil fuel industries, but consumers of oil products, we're all vulnerable to that. Um, and then there's also the, you know, the national security issue. So if we're going to war to protect oil resources um, versus being able to produce our own energy domestically, um, that is, uh, you know, some, something stable and something that's not uh, subject to resource wars, that's also a, a question of national security. Mm. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of people are arguing that we did. We went into Iraq to get the oil and and uh, it's just cost us a lot of lives and energy and people and resources and time. What do you what do you what do we do? So if you're just the average oil worker or the average, you know, whatever age, how do I retool? How do I go get into this clean energy economy and take my skills and upgrade them? Uh, well, there are there are retraining programs. There are a lot of um, institutions like community colleges that offer green energy or um, kind of uh, green occupations, whether that's in engineering or specific things like home energy auditor or um, uh, you know, the thing is, a lot of the occupations in the clean energy economy, a lot of occupations in renewable energy or energy efficiency are occupations that all already exist in our economy. They just happen to be with a clean energy um, company. Label, yeah. So, right. So for some people, it's it's not even going to be that much retraining. And a lot of that can actually be on the job training in the, the companies, the clean energy companies that will be hiring. Um you know, for, for some people, it will be, as I mentioned earlier, if they're closer to retirement, it might mean earlier retirement. And then we need to, as a country, I think we need to be aware of that, be cognizant of that, and have funding for the communities and the individuals who uh, are later in their careers and are less able to, to retrain. Um, but there are a lot of education uh, programs out there for clean energy and, uh, as I said, on-the-job training. Is it... Because I guess so much of this is just politicized, right? And we have major battles going on. I mean, and there's big, big money behind it. And so a lot of misinformation campaigns out there. And, you know, those environmentalists are trying to ruin everything. Um, in the end, though, it's, it just seems smart if if we are energy efficient, if we are also energy independent. It just seems so much better. And yet... Um, there's the battle continues. Why is it? Do you sense that people aren't picking up on this this as as quickly as you would think they would? Well, you know, part of it is a misinformation campaign by um, entrenched fossil fuel interests. So there are research institutes that are funded by the Koch brothers that are funded by. Um, fossil fuel industries that uh, want to protect their own interests. And so we hear studies about, you know, the benefits of fossil fuels. But if you look behind who's funding those studies, um, you can often see, you know, where, where the interest is. Um, so, so part of that is, uh, I think, deliberate misinformation. And then part of it is just a lack of information. So um, that there's just not enough word being spread about the benefits of clean energy, about the affordability of clean energy. Um, there are so many different incentives that make clean energy affordable for individuals and for businesses. And those can be tax incentives or grants or zero interest loans, um, all kinds of things that people can take advantage of that they aren't even aware of. So part of it, I think, is just a matter of really getting the word out. Hmm. It's just, yeah, it's communicating. And I guess some of this is just inevitable, it seems, with time. The more I learn about Tesla and see their cars that have all this power and energy. I mean, it used to be, in my mind, that an electric car was, you know, kind of like a Barbie doll car. And um, it wasn't manly. It wasn't cool. I'm, I'm the kid that grew up with an electric lawnmower 
that okay. I was the only guy in the neighborhood with an electric lawnmower because my mom worked for a vacuum company. And um, Sunbeam, by the way. And one of the things, but it wasn't manly. And I saw all my neighbor kids pouring gasoline in theirs. And I'm like, oh, you guys are all men. I'll just go vacuum my lawn. But there's something about, there's, there is, there's kind of almost a machismo to some of this, I think, for the guy. This the average guy buying a car. Do I buy an electric car? Do I buy a, but in the end, it's, it's the future. It seems it's like where we're going. Every car manufacturer now is going to have self-driving electric cars in the next five to ten years. Right, right. And, you know, and, that, and that's a cultural norm, and hopefully that norm changes with time. Um, and hopefully people seize the, the opportunity to own electric vehicles and, and that that becomes the sort of cool thing mm-hmm. um, rather than having a gas guzzler. And I guess, too... Once you start investing more money into it and having an infrastructure, I mean, I remember thinking and wanting to buy a um, a natural gas-powered vehicle years ago, but there wasn't an infrastructure. And there's still not a great infrastructure yet for electric cars, um, but also, you know, you hear of other companies now, Mercedes, Porsche, uh, Porsche, all these companies are now combining to help start building this infrastructure. Right, right, and that's going to be an important part. And so there are, you know, there are the the early adopters who are driving their electric vehicles or driving their hybrids. Um, but as you know, more and more uh, charging stations, uh, whether those are public charging stations or charging stations at um, at people's offices or homes, as more of those become available, people will see the the convenience. And uh, you know, right now, I think there's this um, almost a fear that uh, that that it's harder to be self-sufficient. That there mm-hmm. aren't, you know, it's not like a gas station on every corner. There aren't these electric charging stations on every corner. But that will change over time, and I think people will become more and more comfortable with the idea of having an electric vehicle. Yeah. Well, and I mean, we just saw it in our neighborhood. Everyone in my neighborhood's putting up solar panels, and but it's so confusing and complicated, and you've got to now pay two bills or three bills and. Your solar panels still aren't covering your costs, even though you're producing a lot of energy. And it's I, I think this is just we're just all kind of in the chaotic stage of this. And it seems like over time we'll settle in. Policies will be better. Technology will be better. And the aesthetics will look more pleasing eventually. Right. Right. Well, Heidi, we appreciate your insight. Uh, keep up the great work. Eventually, you know, it'll all just be clean and green. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. And uh, if I could just mention that if people want to check out some of the work we've done on green growth and on clean energy, they can come to our website. We have lots of publications freely available. It's www.peri.umass.edu. Peri.umass.edu. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Heidi Garrett Peltier. Clean and green, folks. It's the future. And... It doesn't mean, you know, you can't have power. You can't have a good life. In fact, it might mean you have a better life. Uh, But it is. It's going to cost some people jobs. And we can't get around that. We still ought to show compassion for that as well. I mean, imagine you're losing your livelihood. It's, It's a big deal. People fight for that. We'll take a break. Come back. Wrap up hour number one of the show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, wouldn't it be great if you could be so self-sufficient that you could collect all the energy you need on your own uh, just at your house, right? You just turn on your you just turn on your solar panels and you collect all the energy you need every day. You don't even need to connect to a grid because you can just self-sustain. That could be very important when it comes to a zombie apocalypse. If you want to survive a zombie apocalypse, you got to be self-sustaining. Well, I think in those regards, Utah would do pretty well. In fact, there from is a, a food storage point. And, yeah, because yeah, we, we've got a ton of food here. We've saved a lot of people here in Utah have, have a storage of food uh, three months or so, depending on, you know. Depending, I, I can't eat that many things of rice, tins of rice. I have so many buckets of rice. Got to get the beans. And after being to Costa Rica, I I can't eat any more beans and rice. <laughs> um, the here's some cities least, according to Huffington Post, the cities least likely to survive a zombie apocalypse, and the cities most likely to survive a zombie apocalypse. Uh, basically, this was a study put together by Career Builder which is playfully touted as the totally practical and 100% feasible. It examined 53 of the largest metropolitan areas. The areas were ultimately judged by their defense against an imagined zombie-inflicted virus, their ability to contain it, and their ability to find a cure and a food supply. Okay? The cities at the bottom of the list, the top 10 worst cities you do not want to be in, bottom of the list, New York City. That makes sense. Tampa, Florida. Los Angeles, California, Riverside, California, Miami, Florida, Atlanta, Georgia, Buffalo, New York, Tucson, Arizona, Chicago, Illinois, or Detroit, Michigan. If you are in any of those cities and there is a zombie apocalypse, you are dead. You are zombies. Wow. Just letting you know. I've lived in L.A., so that's kind of scary. Maybe now, I have something that's very slowly now you know. starting to develop. That's right. Now you know. Now, if you want to, to survive a zombie apocalypse, you better move to Boston. Move to Boston, Massachusetts, Kansas City, Missouri, Salt Lake City, Baltimore, Maryland, San Diego, Seattle, Denver, Virginia Beach, Virginia, Hartford, Connecticut, or Minneapolis, Minnesota. Folks, if you want to survive the zombie apocalypse, you got to get to one of those cities. See, this is the information you don't get on other stations you don't get on other shows go green and clean and move to one of those top 10 cities and you're you're pretty much protected from all that could harm you we'll take a break that's our number one stick with us next hour more fun right here on the matt townsend show This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Hour number two of the program. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, helping you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. Top of the morning to you. We got a great show for you today, by the way. It's National Calzone Day. Just walking home with a wee calzone, a wee calzone and me. Just walking home with a wee calzone, a wee calzone and me. <laughs> Thank you. Just an observation. Yeah. That was not a skinny man. 
Well, he's walking home with a calzone. I know, but it's just... He's obviously done it enough to make up a song. <laughs> yeah. I'm There's honest. a calzone song. I would like to be at that point in my life where I could walk home with a calzone and be so happy about it that mm. I'm not only going to sing about it, but I'm going to videotape myself singing about it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, what are, you, what are you thinking in your head when you're like, not only am I singing on the street with my calzone and to my calzone, I'm going to video this. Is, is that and a, then post it. That is a level of happiness. That's so happy. That, that I really don't think is. many people achieve in life. You're happy for your calzone. It's the simple it's things that make you happy. Yeah. It's so true. That is so true. Why can't you just be happy with something like a calzone? Why do you need a car? Why do you need a job? Why do you need all this other stuff? <laughs> just get a, a pizza folded in half. Just give me a pizza pie. Nice. Happy National Calzone Day. It's also All Saints Day, hmm. and it's the extra mile day, the day that you you go the extra mile to be a better person, to be more positive, Terry. Hmm. What, excuse me? Just, just Let's just soak this in for a minute, Terry. I want to see what? what this song does to you. Mm, it's already annoying me. Yeah, yeah. I know it won't be easy. Chimes? It won't be easy. Does this is this helping you want to go the extra mile in your life? No, it's probably doing the opposite. Is it irritating, <laughs> Matt? I would go the extra mile for you. Would you really? You already did last week. You held down the fort. You and Terry. Well, this is the song that got me through. Is it every every day after the show you'd watch this and before the show? Yes. The Extra Mile by Lara Pausini. By the way, in the notes, it says, one of my favorite songs dedicated to that special someone. Yeah. A shout out to you. Well, Long you're, distance you're, dedication. You're a special <laughs> someone. You're not my one special someone. I'm not. Well, I'm, I've got a wife and two daughters. Yeah, but does she keep you employed? Um, all right. do, do you really keep us employed? No. It's not really your call. I mean, you, you could express dissatisfaction, but we know how this place works. That's so true. What did you guys learn doing the show last week? Did you guys learn anything? We, we were able to stay on topic and uh, progress through the things we had planned for each segment rather easily. Really? Yeah. Is that why everyone was calling, wanting me back? Just it, there was just one, one person. Yeah. Was it my mom? No, we already discussed it was my mom. Okay. <laughs> She's like, you're stressing my son out. <laughs> He's driving me crazy. Hey, we got a great show, too. We're going to be talking about a five-hour rule. That uh, There's five hours. Is this like the five-second rule? No, this is different. You can keep the food on the ground for five hours? If the food is on the ground for five hours, do not eat it. It's a pretty simple rule. <laughs> it is def- it's definitely there's contaminated. There's something that if you did for five hours every week mm. would change your life to the level that it's like just as it has Bill Gates does it, Warren Buffett does it, Eat Oprah Calzones? Winfrey does it. No. Play, play video games? No. Oh. No. It would change your life if it's you did that. It's the five hour rule. Hmm. We will be learning what that rule is from Michael Simmons. All right. <laughs> it's a great rule. Five hours, five things you do for five – it may not be five things, but what you do in these five hours – could change your life. You're sure it's not video games? Positive. Sleep? No. Nope. Mm. 
Great learnings straight ahead. So we'll get to all that fun, plus some interesting stories and uh, Bob the Clowny Hunter. Mm, he's returning? He's returning. It's a new series here on BYU Broadcasting. I think he was pretty busy last night. Very busy. And he made it so the kids were safe because he, he took out quite a few clowns last night. So we will just have a little update on Bob uh, the Clowny Hunter's latest episode here on BYU Broadcasting. But first, let's get to our national headlines, find out what's going on around the rest of the country with Sadie Nielsen. Sadie, what's up? CNN says it is completely uncomfortable with the hacked email showing that former contributor, Democratic National Committee Chairwoman, Chairwoman Donna Brazil shared questions with the Clinton campaign before a debate in a town hall during the Democratic primary and has accepted her resignation. Hacked emails posted by WikiLeaks show Brazil sharing with the Clinton campaign a question that would be posed to Hillary Clinton before March CNN Democratic debate in Flint, as well as a possible question prior to a CNN town hall also in March. White House Press Secretary Josh Ernest said repeatedly on Monday that he would neither defend nor criticize FBI Director James Comey's disclosures of the new Hillary Clinton email developments. Ernest did not reiterate that President Barack Obama thinks Comey is a man of integrity who didn't do anything to intentionally influence the impeding election. According to a report from NBC News, the FBI has begun to conduct a preliminary investigation into the foreign business connections of former Donald Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort. Manafort was previously linked to a series of multi-million dollar business propositions between Russia and Ukrainian leaders and was kicked off the Trump campaign shortly after a few other reports emerged about his dealings. Manafort denied that there was an investigation going on and told NBC News. And finally... In your tech, yes. techie news, a California tech vlogger used a weather balloon top launch uh, to top launch an iPhone to the edge of space to test what would happen if it fell. Because that's huh? something, you know, that happens all the time. Oh, yeah. Sacramento-based vlogger Tech Racks posted a video to YouTube showing the brand new iPhone being launched at, in a weather balloon at an altitude of more than 100,000 feet. There ended up being a massive jet stream from launch sites, so the iPhone traveled approximately three hours away and took us another three hours to hike onto unknown mountains to retrieve this thing. Tech Why? Racks, uh, that's, Why are we doing this? This is what he does for a living. <laughs> okay. Well, it's so people watch the video. Yeah, and oh, so okay. they understand. Because we know what's going to happen. The phone's yeah. probably going to break. Oh, yeah. Listen. Oh, no, I'm no, sorry. No. The video shows the phone being recovered and turned back on, showing it evaded damage and other than a few scratches. Was it in something? No, oh. it was not. It was like, you know, those uh, boomerang looking things. It was made out from a boomerang looking thing. Looking thing. Huh. Well, that clears everything <laughs> up. That, is that the technical term? Boomerang. Boomerang looking thing. Looking thing. Yes, that's the technical term. So it survived, term. basically. Yeah, it With did. Hardly a scratch. Hardly a scratch. And it basically recorded, it did shut down before it crash landed. They're not really sure why. But uh, there's a lot of things we don't know exactly why the iPhone 7 does. Okay, so hold on. So I, I drop my iPhone out of my pocket from about three feet up uh-huh. and it breaks. Yep. But you can drop one how many thousand? 100,000 feet, feet. And it gets a scratch. Yeah. yeah. It hit right on that corner. Yeah. And it's bounced the old just corner. Right. Yeah, yeah. It didn't hit the corner. Yeah. If it hit the corner... So this is this is like the egg drop in high school, except yeah. it's a phone from it's you a know, phone space. And, yeah, it's a big deal. Same thing. All right. Well, that's good to know, Sadie. If we ever drop our phone from 100,000 feet, put the boomerang thingy on it and bada boom, bada bing. Good lesson. But not if it was a Samsung 7. Oh. You're fired. 
And by the way, Samsung 7, every time on my airplane flights, they now make an announcement. It's a Note 7? Sorry, Note 7. We don't want to ruin the, well, the Galaxy the problem 7. Is, it's a different... The problem is on every flight, at least through the U- – no, everywhere, through the U.S. and in Costa Rica, they didn't say iPhone 7 Note. They said if you have a Samsung iPhone 7, they should say Note. They're they're prohibited, but a lot of times they would just say the Samsung Seven. I think now they're just saying if you own a Samsung, <laughs> if your name yeah. is Sam or if your last name is Sun, Sun you're done. Yes. Okay, we have an, we have a visitor that's here to correct our our Italian. Hi guys, Don <laughs> Sheila Line. That's right. Don Shaline. <laughs> so Donnie, okay. Italian Don speaks Italian. Well, it just I, I'm on a, a one-man mission to go around to every Italian restaurant and try to help them say the Italian words okay. right. National. It is national. Calzone. 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 You, you calzone. pronounce it in But Italian. that just means one calzone. Actually, one. It's una calzona. Okay. Due calzone. Yeah, I'm not going to remember there. this. I'm not going to remember this. <laughs> calzone. Yeah, you have to kind of sing it like that. Calzone. You want some calzone? Yeah, see, that's good. That's good. I don't, I don't know, Don. <laughs> Isn't it just easier to say calzone? Calzone. Yeah, and panini and the rest of them. How do you say panini? One panino, two panini. They're, they're plurals. See, there, there are lots of little rules in Italian. It's like Spanish. I know. And, and you, you have those... But it's better food. Yeah. Cal's one. Yeah. Calzone. Good. Panine. That's two. Yeah. Right. And, and no bruschetta. It's bruschetta. Bruschetta. There we go. The hard bread. Arrivederci. Thanks. Thanks, Donnie. That's your Italian lesson for the day. Great. Calzone. That's the, that really does sound better. No. It's does it, but does it make it taste better? Calzone. Let's say they give you the right kind of pizza sauce to dip it in. Yeah, but look, like the guy's tomato like, rich, uh, welcome oregano. to Pizza Palace. What can I get you? <laughs> I'll have a calzone. The guy would look at you like, huh? come again? No, actually, they do sell them. Do they? Yeah. Pizza Palace? Eat them like a Subway sandwich. <laughs> my wife gets annoyed when you know I speak in my regular accent, but when I'm ordering something like a carne asada taco, yeah, with the list. she rolls her eyes. You have the, you have the Barcelona list. Carne does um, but see you shouldn't use that because you you lived in Russia. Yeah, you don't see. I lived in Argentina. I should use. So you get a pass. I can use that. Okay. Worked at a radio station. Yeah. Most most of my adult life, there uh, there was a guy doing commercials for I think Taco Bell or something, and he called it the Carnacida. <laughs> their their new their new offering was a Carnacida steak. Uh, something. You tried their Carnacida steak and sandwich. I, I clipped it and ran into our director. You mean carne asada? Our boss and he just rolled laughing and kept that. And whenever they had a meeting with this guy, he goes, "By the way," and he'd start the meeting with that. He goes, "Did you want to talk about pay?" <laughs> Car- Carnacida, the calzone. That's pretty funny. Okay, so um, check this out, and this kind of goes. To the bad boys section of the show, we we like to coach a con here. We like to help all people. So if you are a robber and you're on and you robbed a bakery, okay, and you're and you're or you robbed you robbed a, a store, and you now are trying to flee from the store. Yes. Don't go anywhere else except just to like a getaway house. 
that you know where it is. Yeah, a secure location. Maybe you planned ahead. Yeah, like on the way home, don't don't try to get other things. You're not running errands here. No, yeah. not not a time to not run errands. Not the time, no. Boy, a sweet tooth uh, really ended up catching a criminal. Police say that Donald Newman Smith robbed a convenience store in Stamford of $800, then decided to head to a local bakery to splurge on fancy cookies and espresso. Hmm. The problem is he flagged down someone to ask for directions while he was en route to the bakery. He didn't know where the bakery was. So he just flags down a person, and it just so happens the person he flagged down was one of the investigators on the way to the crime scene. Hmm. So the guy's like, hey, so you know where the bakery is? I just got all this cash, and I got nowhere to go. <laughs> and so the guy then witnessed who he was, and then when he got to the scene of the crime, and he looked on the surveillance tapes, he saw the criminal, and he knew right where he was. Did it, did it say what he wanted from the bakery? <laughs> Un calzon. Wasn't it like eh? a cronut or something? It was a bruschetta. <laughs> He should have treated it like it was a job interview. He should have gotten there early. <laughs> he should have mapped out the route exactly. first. If should you're going w- to rob a ba- or anything, have yeah. a plan. If you if you plan to fail, then fail to plan. There you go. No, what? If you fail to plan, to plan then plan to fail. Spoken just like Maxim Ma- Maximo. Yes. Let's see. He's a great criminal. Anyway, he now faces first-degree robbery charges. By the way, they have great pastries in prison. Do they really? I hear. Nice. Yeah, at the pastry shop in the prison. It's right there by the uh, by the license plate shop. <laughs> great stuff. Um, also, you know, we, we've introduced you on the show before, the Bob the Clownty Hunter. He's a good uh, show, a great friend of the show as well. But uh, Bob, um, you know, with Halloween gone, it went off with a hitch yesterday, but mainly... Due to our friend Bob, the clowny hunter, and his efforts to rid the streets of suspicious-looking clowns, here's a quick peek at Bob the Clowny Hunter's latest episode on BYU Broadcasting. Hi, I'm Bob, and I used to be a clown for birthday parties, corporate events, and political conventions. But now I track down dangerous clowns and apprehend them for a living. Here's a sneak peek at my new show, Bob the Clowny Hunter. I'm the Bob, the big bad Bob. The Clowny Hunter. Okay, so our next clown has been seen loitering around malls, and specifically Hot Topic stores. And with the trick-or-treating that goes on in the stores around Halloween, we need to get him away from these poor kids. Now, he's not your traditional-looking clown, but then I guess you got to evolve if you want to make it in the clown business. Oh, there he is. Okay, let's go get him. Hey there. Are you Damien? What's it to you, Tim Curry? Actually, my name is Bob, and you're Damien, right? It's pronounced Damien. Well then, Damien, you're under arrest. Whatever. What are you, some kind of depressed clown? What are you, some kind of middle-aged scab with a high school equivalency diploma who takes a break from his self-loathing to get his kicks from gallivanting around in his midlife crisis on wheels and creeping out generation wires on Halloween? Why don't you just go back to your... All right, I've had enough of this. All right, so it turns out that what I thought was a clown was actually a goth teen. Uh, but my lawyers have informed me that little hot topic here is too apathetic to press charges. <laughs> So it looks like we've gotten another scumbag off the streets. 
Join us next time on Bob the Clowny Hunter. I'm the Bob, the big bad Bob, the Clowny Hunter. Welcome, folks, back to the Matt Townsend Show. What do Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, and Oprah Winfrey all do every day or every week? Five-hour rule. They all use the five-hour rule. And recent research looking into sociology of business has found that different fields require different amounts of deliberate practice in order for someone to become world-class. We've been told for years that practice will make perfect But does having a successful business require more than just practice from employees? Is there something more we can be doing? Is there something more we should be doing? According to our next guest, Michael Simmons, who's the founder of the company Impact, E-M-P-A-C-T. He's here with us uh, this morning to talk about something he calls the five-hour rule. Thank you, Michael, so much for being with us. Thank you. I'm uh, excited to be here. This is a cool, I think, topic. Uh, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Oprah Winfrey... Among and others, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, uh, Elon Musk, they all have something in common, um, and you call it the five-hour rule. What, what is it? What are they doing in these five hours that are making such a difference? Yeah, well, to to back up a little bit, why I think it's really interesting is that you know, some of the busiest, most successful people set aside time for deliberate learning in their day-to-day schedule. When many, many of us who we could say are not at that level, you know, we're so busy that we feel we don't have time for it. Mm. So that was the thing that I found most interesting in the beginning uh, is just that, you know, books were one of the main ways that I, I tracked in this article. Uh, Bill, Bill Gates, uh, for most of almost the entire career, is famous for reading about a book a week mm. and taking a reading vacation for two weeks per year where he just focus on reading. Uh, at one point, uh, Elon Musk, I think when he was a teenager, basically spent most of his time reading and read two books per day. Wow. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg is famous for having a, a reading list now that he makes public. And I think he's about a book per week or book every other week. Uh, so it's very interesting. That is interesting. And so part of it is, I mean, we live in a day and age where, like you were saying, we might we feel like we're so busy, we, we're trying to just keep up, these leaders are actually getting ahead, I guess, by intentionally focusing on the learning. Yeah, exactly. Is it? I I think it's kind of a, it's kind of a disposition between thinking short term and long term. So often when we think of the word productivity, we associate it with getting more done in less time. Mm -hmm. And I think the five-hour rule is productivity on a longer time scale. So, you know, if you look at the value of learning and built and reading and widely in different areas uh, over a long period of time, that ultimately helps you get more done in, in less time. But on a day-to-day basis, you know, it feels like you're slowing down. Hmm. It's, I mean, yeah. When you like, I, I was just trying to think. So, if I was sitting in my office. Um, you know, in a cubicle, let's say, in some company, and I'm I'm reading a book, would my boss think that I'm being productive, or would they think, "What's that guy doing?" 
you need to be making phone calls. Get back on the phone. But it's important, right? I mean, part of this is if five hours a week is investment in growth and development. Yeah. And, uh, well, first to your first point, yeah, it's even the boss or even ourselves, you know, we can feel guilty ourselves being questioning ourselves. And we could think about all the things we have to do on our to-do list or even just at home. I, I, I have two kids myself. So the yeah, kind of the way I look at it and incorporate into my life is just creating space in my week and my day. Um, I personally do about one to two hours per day of reading where I just allow myself to read, know that it's a good investment and that uh, I shouldn't feel guilty for it. So hmm. I find random times like reading in the sauna hmm. or uh, listening in the, when I'm the commute, uh, when I do the dishes. So there's times during the, we all, I feel like we all have. Oh yeah. Put towards it. I mean, you really do. There's, there's time. I mean, if you already work out or if you already exercise, there's time there to be listening to stuff, but you break it into this five hour rule. You say you generally kind of track it and it falls into three buckets, reading, reflecting and experimenting. Maybe maybe walk us through each of those. What's the difference? Yeah, well, reading's pretty straightforward. Uh and I you know, even today's digital age, you know, books still hold a, a huge amount of power. There's an article that about Bill Gates reading habits and yeah, I and that the fact that the world's richest person reads books, I think says a lot because hmm. he could read he could hire like a team of researchers and fly them out and interview one-on-one. He finds books to be really powerful. Uh, two is just the habit of reflection. And, and some of the people I, I mentioned there, like are Mark Zuckerberg or uh, even Steve Jobs. Uh, there's other people, Jack Dorsey from uh, the CEO of Twitter. They put a lot of time towards uh, walking and reflecting just Jeff Weiner, the CEO of Twitter, or excuse me, the the CEO of LinkedIn, also said to side. I think it was about two hours per day for reflection and hmm. processing all the things that come in. That's huge. Two hours a day of thinking. Yep. I mean that's. But again, these are guys and gals at the highest level of their of their profession. And um, they probably do have a lot of information coming by them. And yet if you're always just gathering information and never able to process it, you are not going to be effective. Yeah, exactly. And Warren Buffett, I think, is the most extreme case. Uh, throughout his career, he estimates that he spent about 80% of his time uh, reading and reflecting over 500 pages per day. Of For him, it's not just books, it's annual reports as well, but... You can just imagine somebody mm. doing that for decades of their life, how much more they would know and be able to come up with counterintuitive opinions that uh, work, but go go against conventional wisdom. Hmm. That is true, because then you start to kind of aggregate this, 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 uh, this experience, this insight. Um, I remember uh, Stephen Covey said the same thing. He would he would generally go through about twenty books a month or more, and he learned wow. he wouldn't read the whole book. He would, but he would he just learned how to process the book and the information. And he'd start he'd go through the the front of the book and go through the index and start going to the sections that really intrigued him and interested him. And because I mean everybody was sending him a book anyway to just to sign on and put his name on and. 
Anyway, powerful stuff. Uh, the last one is, is to experiment. So I guess is that go and actually test what you're learning? Yeah. You know, there's famous experimenters like uh, Thomas Edison uh, as well as many others. But, you know, I think the risk of learning and just reading, absorbing things is they just stay in your head. And uh, but they're not actually you're not applying them in the real world. So I think experimentation is just really taking what you learn and testing it so that it works in your life. Hmm. Because this is, I guess this is blowing up the 10,000 hour idea of Malcolm Gladwell, huh? The the idea that, you know, 10,000 hours is what creates a an expert. But this is more saying, um, no, it's it's five hours a week consistently. Well, I mean, I, I you know, there's been a lot of people in the academic research community going back and forth on the 10,000-hour rule. And even the person that Malcolm Gladwell created the 10,000-hour, coined the term from, is saying, well, there's, within fields, there's a lot of variance on the 10,000-hour rule. Uh, that 10,000 is just an average. And then between fields, uh, there's newer research uh, by uh, Brooke McNamara, David Hambrick, and others showing that the the amount of deliberate practice you need varies by by different fields. Hmm. You know what is interesting that you brought up about um, Warren Buffett is when when he's read his five hundredth you know executive summary of a business opportunity. He's he's at a completely different level reading that summary than he was his first summary. So every this this becomes exponentially more empowering. The more you learn, the more you spend time reading and reflecting and actually experimenting. With every further experiment, it just be, you become more and more advanced in your trade, your ability. Yeah, and I think one the surprising thing that people don't appreciate is that as you spend more time learning over the years suddenly you can absorb content faster mm -hmm. because you have the schema. Just like once you really master like the English language or let's say you're – or actually a better example is let's say you're going to biology. If you've already read 10 books on biology, the 11th book you can absorb much faster. Right. And so uh, the same principle applies with learning overall. As you start to notice patterns and principles that apply – Oh, he's absorbing that new report, he can immediately absorb at a higher level, yeah. faster level, and remember it more. Now, Michael, does it? Um, you did. Where did the five-hour rule come from? Is, did you just get that because that's about how much time these leaders are spending doing this, or is there something else behind the five hours a week? It was just a heuristic I noticed, so it's uh, not a academically studied rule. But that a lot of these people that I was following were reading about an hour a day. Hmm. I mean, really, a, an hour a day is a lot of time. That's it's it, it is surprising to me that these people can can pull out an hour a day, and I, I can almost imagine some out there saying, "Well, if I was a multi-billionaire, I'd read an hour a day." But um, the, the reason they're a multi-billionaire is because they're they're doing this. They're they're doing this this this. I think in many ways it's a harder job to discipline yourself to read, reflect, and practice. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, what what is interesting is that a lot of 
these people, you know, they started their reading habit very young before they became who they are. You know, Ben Franklin became, started reading his books in teenage years, same with Elon Musk uh, and, and other people. Hmm. Do you... Um... I mean, I guess, too, there's different levels. Like like one of the, the – you say read, that seems – okay, that's pretty clear. But reflect, um, did, did you get any insight into how they reflect? What are they looking at? Are they how, – how do they synthesize all of this data? Do they – and, do, and I, I learned getting my doctoral uh, degree – that um, getting the doctorate when I was fully engaged already in my profession actually suited me better than getting it if I were younger and I wasn't really fully engaged in my practice. Actually having – because my practice always was reflecting in my doctoral work. And so how how do we actually learn to reflect better? Michael, are you there? I do believe we've lost Michael. Um, he's probably taking a break to reflect. We will take a break and um, come back, see if we can get him back on the line. Again, we're speaking with Michael Simmons about an article he wrote in Inc.com. Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, and Oprah Winfrey all use the five-hour rule. He's teaching us about the five-hour rule. Five hours a week, reading, reflecting, and then experimenting. It's uh, not a bad idea. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, just we were just speaking with Michael Simmons from Impact Company. Uh, if you go to his website, iimpact, E-M-P-A-C dot, I-E-M-P-A-C-T dot com, iimpact.com, um, you can find out more about uh, some of his work there. We were talking about this five-hour rule, and uh, for some reason our phone system is just completely upside down right now. So we we won't be able to bring him back on. But go check out his website and, and get that information. As he was talking about it, tell me that doesn't make sense. If you spent five hours a week breaking down and, and learning, five hours a week of reading new material, new insights into your career, into your profession, into your area that you want to specialize in, plus also, you know, internalizing it, taking it to a completely different level, a deeper level, and then experimenting with what you're learning, you create a really powerful opportunity. You create an opportunity to learn. And because we always kind of just assume that, you know, if you practice, it makes perfect. Well, no, it doesn't. You know, if you practice something wrong, you're only going to perfect bad practice. So, you got to make sure you're on top of it. And by investing five hours of reading, reflecting, and experimenting in it, you become um, what, I, what I've affectionately learned is, uh, is called the scholar-practitioner model. You actually are becoming more scholarly. You're more, you're more learned in what you're growing in, in your field of study, your expertise, but you're also a practitioner, 
You're not just a scholar that never does it. You're not just somebody that goes and learns and never practices it, because you're going to read, reflect deeply, and then practice upon what you're learning. Read, reflect, practice. Read, reflect, practice. And that process over and over and over is one of the keys that I think is creating, um, according to our guest, uh, Michael Simmons, it's creating a level of expertise in people like you name it. Uh, I mean, the list of people that do it, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Oprah Winfrey, Phil Knight, Phil Knight from Nike, um, billionaire entrepreneur David Rubenstein, Home Depot co-founder Arthur Blank reads two hours a day. Mark Cuban reads more than three hours every day. Dan Gilbert, self-made billionaire and owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers, reads one to two hours a day. I don't have time for all this crazy stuff. Well, you may not have time not to. Now, here's a little suggestion, um, and this is what I was going to ask Mike about before the phones went down, is um, it seems like these people all do this because they've incorporated it into part of their lives, right? Many of us, we just have to go work. And we, you know, at our work, they may not appreciate us taking time to go read, they don't appreciate us necessarily. They may not buy into my need to grow and develop. But I, I would just suggest one thing. Do whatever you can to make this practice of five hours a week a part of your work life. I think personally, if you could somehow get this into your work life, where every single day at work you are intentionally going to spend an hour a day working on reading, reflecting, or practicing and experimenting upon what you're learning. There are certain companies, um, I think it was Google, that allows their clients to take 20% of their work to experiment and learn. 20% of their work time they get to reinvest in practicing and innovating and developing and learning. It's powerful. Now, if we can if you try to just do this at home, I don't I really don't think you'll have the time. If you've got a family, if you've got kids, if you've got a social life, you all you, I wouldn't just assume you're going to do your learning in the off hours. And I think one of the keys is if you can make it a part of your everyday routine, either your commute to work or your and your commute home from work, I mean that right there is your hour. Dedicate that time to work on that. Or Integrate it into your work time and tell your boss, I need a professional development program and I need an hour a day to learn. Show them the ink article. But get it going. And can I just suggest one more thing, which is how I was thinking about it as he was talking. Um, What would happen if you invested five hours a week into something as important as your marriage? Oh, brother, I don't have that much time. I mean, sure, I'm married to her, but don't make me talk to her for five hours a week. What if you spend five hours a week learning? When was the last time you read a marriage book? Ugh, sounds like a nightmare. When was the last time you read a communication book? Take your biggest issue in your marriage. If you fight about money, what if you spent five hours a week for the next month with your spouse working on how to talk about money in your marriage. Can you imagine the impact of five hours a week? You have a date night. 
right? You have a half hour of talking every night. What if you read a book together? Five hours a week. What would it do? If you have parenting problems, what would happen if you invested five hours a week for the next month on your parenting issues? Oh, I do. I fight with my kids easily more than that. Well, let's quit fighting and let's go use some of that time to go sharpen the saw and learn how to learn. That's the problem, Matt. I'm too busy, too busy fighting to go learn how to not fight. One of my favorite quotes, and we'll take a break. When are you going to stop swatting at the flies and go and patch the screen? Ugh. That's human life 101. When are we going to stop swatting all the flies and go fix the real problem? Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll help you fix those problems one at a time. Up next, Caitlin Thomas, one of our producers, will come in and talk to us about the top songs that you've grown to hate. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. Happy Calzone. Is it Calzone? I think Don came in and said it was Cal's One. Oh, yeah, that's right. Happy Cal's One Day. Today's the day we celebrate Calzones. It's also the day we celebrate the songs you can't stand. Have you ever heard a song on the radio, oh, and you can't stand it, but you just won't turn it off either? Joining us today is Caitlin Thomas, the Caitlin Thomas, also known as Miss Lehigh. Former. Former Miss Lehigh. Fun. Actually, yesterday my sister and I dressed up as each other for Halloween, and so she wore the sash and the crown. What did you? What did you wear? A uh, black lipstick and rocker T-shirts. <laughs> Don't say former. You'll always be Miss Lehigh to us. In your That's hearts. Right. In my heart of hearts. Well, okay, but okay. so happy November. Happy November happy one November. to you. It's such a good day. We get to start over. It's Thanksgiving month. Yes, but uh. So I was listening with my mom on the radio, and they were talking about this story about this this guy. His name's Edward Carter. He's a British— like, Eddie. Eddie Carter. Eddie, Eddie Carter. He's a British music fan and a critic. Okay. So one night he said he tweeted out a question um, on his Twitter that got thousands of responses within wow. hours. Wow. His question was, Dear Twitter, what is the song you most detest and despise? <laughs> Thank you. And he just kind of put it out and then went to bed, and then he said he woke up the next morning— Thousands of responses on this what, list. What was there a consensus? Okay, so sadly, yeah, there was one um, that he, you know, said was the most hated song. Really? And it was "Imagined" by John Lennon. What? And yeah. So why do people this hate the, this? song? I guess they were saying millennials, my age group, that doesn't really understand the song, were saying. This is John it's Lennon. It's about poverty. He's not even poor. And my mom is laughing. She goes, it's not about poverty. This was about the war. Yeah. See, your mom knew. <laughs> she was getting kind of frustrated. But you yeah, know, so this was like the number one most hated song. People don't like to, to use their imaginations today. No. We don't need It's those. a great point. But so he, he took, he compiled all of these tweets, like these thousands of tweets, and put together a playlist on Spotify with 337 songs. <laughs> That, that are the most hated. That are the most hated. Well, who would download that playlist? That sounds like torture. It has thousands of people. That's what's so funny about it. He goes, these are the songs that we hate, but for some reason we listen to them still. I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like, like going to the, the other dentist. Ones, some of the other ones on there were Dancing Queen by ABBA. Oh, I love this song. 
This is the song I get up to every day. Right? Like, you hate it, but you can't not listen to it. But it really, you, this makes you move. I know. Like, I, I don't understand why you couldn't like this song. They also had, oh, this one was kind of sad. Um, it's Big Yellow Taxi, the cover by Counting Crows. I don't know that I, oh, I like this song. Yeah, it, people hate this song. They hate this cover of it. They said this is the most annoying cover that, they, <laughs> that they've heard of it. And then the Beatles. The Beatles were on there a lot. Why? I don't know. Six songs, six times they were on well, this list. Well, it's because they've sold more records and they've, these are the. And I just don't think my generation understands the beauty that is the Beatles. So are these all millennials that are down on these songs? I mean, no, but it's mostly millennials that are on Twitter. Yeah, it's a responding great. Responding to this guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, saying? yeah. So I'm assuming most of them is my generation. There's a couple of the other, but to get a more modern song that people really hate, um, they did. I mean, it's Ellie Goulding's On My Mind. Have you heard this song? Yeah. Doesn't this one yeah. just like... I love I love Ellie Goulding. But this song, like she says... Do you know she says On My Mind like 80 times in this song or something like that? <laughs> yeah, that would irritate now, Well, now that you've pointed that out... <laughs> See? It's like one of those songs, but you hate it because it stays in your head all day. It's singing, Ellie. <laughs> but nobody was spared. I mean, there was Maroon 5, No Doubt, Rihanna, Whitney Houston. Well, see, so I guess this is the point, that it's not it, It's not even the song. Is it just the repetition of the song? Maybe, maybe. A lot of these songs were played. This is my favorite song, by the way. Your favorite Tell song. me this doesn't change you. Slim Whitman. Is, is this your favorite annoying song or favorite favorite song? No, this just moves me. When I'm calling you That's nice. You know who didn't love this song is the aliens in Mars Attacks. No, they hated that oh, that's song. that's right, they did. Tell me you don't love this. Well, you know, I think the problem, I think most of the songs on this list were ones that were highly played yeah. or very popular. Overplayed. overplayed. So I'm thinking, if you have a favorite song, just pray that it doesn't make it to the radio. That's what I like about Slim Whitman. He's rarely overplayed. That's true. I think he's underplayed. That's so true. What if this was the only song you could listen to? This would do strange things to my brain, I think. Like if you're on a planet, deserted, stuck there. I'd go crazy, I think. This I might put this on my... In fact, the playlist on Spotify that... Edward Carter made is called Kryptonite Songs. Oh, really? You can check it out on Spotify. What's it called? Kryptonite Songs. Kryptonite Songs, songs, right? It's like, it's everyone's kryptonite. We Mm -hmm. hate it, but we can't stay away from it. But the point is, anything that you, if if I gave you chocolate cake and you overate chocolate cake. And that's all I ate for days, I would hate chocolate cake. So if you love a song. Don't overplay it. Especially this time of year, you're going to start hearing Christmas music. Don't listen to it over and over and over or you will hate it. Yeah. Don't overplay it, but check out the Kryptonite songs or the Kryptonite mm. songs playlist on Spotify. It's it's actually really funny. It sounds it sounds like uh, worth checking out. And Spotify, you know, you can just download that whole thing and just enjoy it. And just enjoy all, all three hundred and thirty-seven of the world's most annoying songs are according there, to Twitter. Are there any other songs on the list that we could play? Did you know that they have Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You on that? No. Yes. Uh. Yes. Taylor Swift. What? Um, Maroon 5. Taylor Rihanna. Swift, I thought, was untouchable. I, you know. Just ask Kanye. 
He's tried. He's tried. He's tried multiple times, in fact. But yeah, I was surprised at a. I mean, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, I love the Red I Hot. I love the which Red song, Hot Chili which, Peppers. Which uh, their song? Which song? Was they it? had like four songs on there. Oh, see, okay. I don't know who these people are, but I'm a little bit upset at them. I don't agree. Yeah, I am too. I am too. Maybe they meant literally Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh yeah, maybe or that's just it. annoying. The food. The I food. can't go near Red Hot Chili Peppers. Okay, one of my favorite songs growing up was Man, I Feel Like a Woman by Shania Twain. Oh, yeah. That one was on the list, and oh, I was angry. Please. Don't I mess was, with Shania Twain. I love that song. That was my favorite song. My wife thinks I'm in love with Shania Twain. Oh, well, I would be if I was a man. I don't call it love. What do you call it? We have a deep appreciation. Oh, that's good. I like that description. I have me a deep appreciation for Shania Twain. <laughs> All right, Caitlin. Well done. You nailed it. Happy November. Happy Calzona. Calzone Day. Her name's Caitlin Thomas. She brings us the songs you don't want to hear. We'll take a break. Come back. Hour number three next hour. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Happy day to you. Happy November 1st, and you are at it again. Can you believe it? It's November, folks. Time's a-flying one week away from the big election when we can then put that whole thing to rest. Maybe. Well, and the neat depending thing— Depending on what happens. Yeah, depending how it all goes down. The neat thing is uh, 50% of the people that are part of this election we won't have to hear from anymore. Maybe. Uh, also, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I have a feeling it's not going to go that easily. Hey, um, so much to talk about today. We've got a great show. We will be replaying an interview I did with Gretchen Rubin. And uh, Gretchen uh, is a graduate of, law, of Yale Law School and uh, author of many books, um, but also uh, one of the kind of experts on happiness today. And if you go to our website, GretchenRubin.com, just a wonderful resource. We're going to be talking about how to make and, and master the habits of everyday life. There's stuff that just makes you healthier, better, but how to make a habit around some of these things, it's just – it's not as easy as as we'd like it to be. So we'll get to that, habit-making, with Gretchen Rubin. We'll also be visiting our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's going to be on their show at the top of the hour, plus, of course, our hero story of the day and many, many other news stories, some of which you uh, you might even want to know, like – Let's just say that you were fishing for lobster, and you reeled in a huge lobster. How big is too big? Uh, when it comes to lobster, mm-hmm. I don't think that exists. I don't think I mean, too you, big you is. You have to have. You still have to have a pot to boil it in. This one was huge. Or just keep it as a pet if it's that big. Yeah, maybe it's one of those that was. You know, released from a store lobster container and then released to the wild. And now it reaches these huge sizes. We'll be talking about an enormous lobster. It doesn't seem like it's as big as 
it it's but it's big. It's big. It's take him to the sauna if you don't have a pot that's big enough. Mm, steam him. That sounds delicious. Make sure you've got butter. We'll be talking about all this fun stuff um, ahead. But first, we must get to the national headlines. Who better to help us with that than the Sadie Nielsen? Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? Susie Goodwin, 35, ran the Fayetteville, North Carolina Halloween Half Marathon on Sunday in two hours, one minute, and 19 seconds. A respectable time by any measure. But Goodwin wasn't running a regular race. She was also pushing 120 pounds in front of her, her 14-month-year-old triplets, and a wheeled stroller. Her time will likely be recognized by the Guinness Book of World Records as fastest ever half marathon while pushing a triple stroller, because it will also be the first ever documented time in such an event. Police say at least six people were killed after multiple crashes involving a school bus, a commuter bus, and one other vehicle in southwest Baltimore. There are also reports of several injuries, although the extent and severity hasn't been released by officials yet. There has been no word on the cause of the accident. Gun violence in Chicago has been an ever-present topic in recent news, and this weekend just saw more disturbing statistics emerge. 17 people were shot and killed between Friday night and Monday morning, per homicide numbers tracked by the Chicago Sun-Times. 41 others were reported injured. That makes it the city's most lethal weekend in terms of gun violence in all of 2016. And finally... Yes? Uh, a lovely couple from Russia had a very special guest at their wedding. Dennis and Nelia, both 30, from Moscow, invited brown bear, a real brown bear oh. named Stephen, along to their very special ceremony. As well as witnessing the couple exchange vows, the bear also played role as the registrar at one point. Dennis said, we were both... Uh, we both knew Stephen was a very kind bear, but is still is, he still is a huge, unpredictable unpredictable animal so we were a bit scared but we were still happy to make our dreams come true <laughs> and this bear oh. was also huge huge who invites a brown bear to their wedding um people who are hippies <laughs> that'll do it hippies that'll do it Maybe it was gentle ben. gentle ben gentle ben hey so uh i follow on instagram uh uh national geographic hmm and we've got to go find it. So I'm giving you an assignment, Sadie. I'm on it. There was um, two men that their goal was to climb into a bear's den in the middle of winter while it was hibernating. Mm. But the den was like had a hundred a hundred foot like passageway that they had to climb through, and they were like 75 feet into this bear den thinking the bear would be asleep, hibernating, and then they were going to tranquilize it and then change the batteries out in a transmitter on its neck. Is this from Grizz Kid? I don't know. It sounds like a lot of Grizz Kid. I follow him on Instagram. He's from Utah. Yeah. But it's he, he Grizz, went to BYU. It's Grizz Kid. Yeah. Yep. Okay, go find the picture. We've got to post it. Can it work? This guy's climbing in there and 75 feet in this tunnel that he he's just scooching through, the bear wakes up. And it starts just kind of lumbering towards it, and they trank it, and it doesn't take the trank, and they trank it three times, and they had to hurry and get out, and then they ran out, and the bear fell asleep next to a tree. Hmm. But they've got video of him in the tunnel with the bear waking up starting to come towards him. And I thought Sadie. That's what nightmares. That's what nightmares are made of. That's exactly. You want to hear a horror story? 
be in the den with a slumbering bear and yeah. wake it up. <sighs> okay, we will find that. We will put it on our feed at Dr. Matt Show on our tw- on our uh, Twitter feed. And we'll put it on Instagram while we're at it. Let's put it everywhere. Speaking of nightmares. Yes. When is it too early to play Christmas music? Right now. It's too early? Do not touch Christmas music till December 1. <sighs> Birmingham Station, Easy 1021 FM. Mm-hmm. The city's first all-Christmas music station. No. It flipped on Friday. Please. The uh, program director says, This has been such an emotionally difficult year, and Christmas music brings so much joy. We wanted to offer listeners the opportunity to get into the holiday spirit early this year. They will continue to play Christmas music through Christmas Day. Thanks. Thanks for thinking of us. The first station in America. You know what? That's lazy programming. Is that what it is? That is lazy. I'm not I'm not here to demean anyone. Yeah. That's lazy programming. You're a monster. Yes, you're a Christmas Grinch. And you're stealing Christmas in November. October. It's November. Yeah, but they started the Friday before Halloween. <sighs> that is. You know, Halloween is not for everybody, so you want to look forward to the well, next What about Thanksgiving. There's no money to be made in that. <laughs> there is if you make pies. So there you go. Okay. That is that is my personal nightmare. That is a personal nightmare. My personal nightmare? Um, okay. My personal nightmare is reeling in uh, a, a lobster. Yes. This is scary, by the and way. And you're like, whoa, that's a heavy lobster. Did I catch a boat? What, is what did this? I catch? Um, Hurricane Nicole may have brought more than wind and rain to Bermuda. Two fishermen are crediting the storm with bringing in an enormous 14-pound spiny lobster. There is video. Really? If you would like to see the size. Yeah, here it is. The lobster is dancing. Not not this one. That's a cartoon lobster. The guy picks this thing up, and it's almost all of him. And then you're like, we eat these things? Really? They are the spiders of the ocean, and we're eating these things. Why? How do you cook a 14-pound lobster? The exact same way, I guess? I I don't believe you would cook it. uh, you got to cook it. Did it say if they released it? You don't release that thing. That's that's like releasing an anaconda. Well, these these four people seem happy that they caught a lobster. Yeah, they caught a lobster. They're dancing with a lobster. <laughs> they uh, boat captain Matthew Jones said he and one of his workers were fishing off the shoreline the day after the storm blew through the island. Jones said the worker thought he had a snapper on the line after it somehow got wrapped around uh, a mooring. When the worker went in closer to investigate, he instead spotted a huge crustacean, a massive 14-pound lobster. So a monster was blown out of the depths of the ocean by a hurricane. And it's the spi- it's the it's called it's the spiny lobster, but it's it has it, it's a big lobster. It's about the size of a it's about the size of a 1-year-old. A big 1-year-old. Yeah. yeah. Two Oscars almost. Not Oscar quite. the trophy. Yes. The award from the Motion Picture Academy. Is that what it's called? Um Again, you know that a uh, you know that an Oscar weighs eight pounds. Yeah. Why do you know that? Well, when I won my Oscar and and uh, hold on, wielded what? it, hold it. Which what? You have an Oscar? 
Well, yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Well, I, I should clarify. I'm, I'm related to somebody who was nominated for an Oscar. So that's why you looked it up then. You wanted to know how much it could weigh if that person you were related to had won the Oscar. I had a list of people that I wanted to thank in my mind. <laughs> you already had your award, your acceptance. <laughs> anyway, watch out for lobsters. That would be – that's a lot of butter. That would take about three cows worth of butter if you're, if you're counting by cow. Don't you lose some of the quality of the meat at some point when it gets that big? I don't know. Do you? I don't know. But here's a photograph of the guy with the monster. No, I know. That's the size of it. I'm looking at it right here. And lobsters, again, I don't want to demean – any creation from God, but they're ugly. Come on. No, they are ugly. Lobsters are people too. They are Good a, point. a bottom point. feeder of the ocean. Mm -hmm. That's 14 pounds of bottom feeding. And it's a delicacy, allegedly. Yeah. Wait till you get into that meat. You're going to find like some syringe, <laughs> some is that, tire. A is that a license plate? Where did that come from? I don't think we should use the term uh, bottom feeding anymore. Why? No comment. Bottom feeders are people too. Yeah. Hey, uh, crazy story um, don't about habit, don't habitat shame. What are, you... <laughs> are you shaming habitat? Um, Guinness declares another world record that I still think is. If it uh, is this real? Okay. Guinness World Record says roughly a half a mile long ice cream sundae was gobbled up in Ludington, Michigan. This June, it was the longest ice cream sundae ever. The sundae measuring a little over 2,970 feet in length fed thousands of people, lining eight blocks. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, the previous longest ice cream dessert was created in 2015 in New Zealand, and it was only, it was just under 2,000 feet and one inch long. However, Ludington's record may be short-lived because Nashville, uh, Michigan, tried to break the record September 17th, making a dessert that spanned 3,600 feet plus. Amazing. By the way, not the only record they broke that day. The largest cross-contamination cross of a community in the history of the world. More people were cross-infected. With viruses, colds, and other gross things. So now, wait a minute. Where did this take place again? Uh, it took place... Because you talked about cities that we want to avoid. Ludington, if, Michigan. If we don't want to be infected by the zombie ap apocalypse. Half of the city now is down with a cold. They all have the same cold. Don't ever share a Sunday unless you want to cross-contaminate. A lesson brought to you by the Matt Townsend Show. Helping people not cross-contaminate. We are going to take a break. When we come back, we will be replaying an interview we did with Gretchen Rubin about habits and creating habits. We all need healthier living, healthier habits. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's been five months since your New Year's resolutions, right? We're halfway through 2016. And have you kept up on those New Year's resolutions? Are you still doing them? 
If not, you're not alone. Habits can be hard to form, even if we have great motives, great reasons for doing it. But uh, they're still important, so don't give up on them. It's just we need to maybe maybe we can simplify it by trying to make them part of our everyday life. And that is uh, what our next guest, Gretchen Rubin, is going to be talking to us about her new book. She's the author of many books, um, many, by the way, successful books as well. One, for example, is uh, Mas- oh, is um, the the Happiness Project that she runs. But she, in her in her uh, writings, and her blog, and her podcast, and everything she's working on, her goal, folks, is happiness. Uh, she's done the Happiness Project book, and she's been on the show before. Now she's talking about her new book, Better Than Before. Gretchen Rubin, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm very happy to be talking to you today. Great to have you here. Talk to us about happiness. I mean, you have, it seems like, put it on the map. Everybody now is focusing more and more on happiness, and you're teaching us, really, that it's about a habit. Yeah, no, as I was doing all this research and talking to people about happiness over the years, I began to notice that a lot of times when people talked about a big happiness challenge that they faced, it was a problem that at, at its core had to do with a habit. So someone would say, well, my problem is I'm exhausted all the time. And that's about the habit of getting enough sleep. Right. Or somebody would say, my, my problem is I want to uh, get back into practicing guitar. And that's about the habit of consistent progress. So how can habits help us to be happier? Oh, I mean, and we know habits are, are a key, right? Um, and so your book, Better Than Before, is really then about habit making, right? But it's also, yep. I guess, making the habit part of your, uh, is, is it easier to make it just something you're already kind of doing? How, how do you integrate the habit into your day-to-day life? Well, you know, habits are a huge part of our day-to-day life just sort of by their nature. Uh, research suggests that about 40% of everyday life is shaped by habits. So there's sort of this invisible architecture of every day. Um, and when we consciously shape our habits, the way you're talking about, then obviously we can use them as this engine to help us be happier, healthier, more productive, more creative. But if those habits are not good for us, then it's going to be a lot harder. Uh, now, habits are the, – the, the reason that habits are so powerful is they get us out of the draining, difficult business of using self-control and making decisions. You know, and just the way you don't decide to wear a seatbelt, you don't decide – you don't use your self-control to brush your teeth. Right. Um, you want to make going to the gym that way or uh, not eating after dinner, that, that kind of automatic thing where – you don't have to use your willpower. You don't have to debate with yourself. It just happens automatically. It's on autopilot. And you get, yeah, th- then then it, it's not about making a decision anymore. Yeah. It's just about staying in the groove. Well, and it's funny because people often say to me, well, this is really important because I want to go through my day making healthier choices. And I'm like, no, you don't. Because every time you make a choice, you got the chance to make the wrong choice. True. You want to choose once and stop choosing. What time do you get up? I get up at 6 a.m. Do you decide that every day? No, I don't. I get up at 6 a.m. Do you have dessert? No, I don't have dessert. Do I decide that? Do I use self-control? No, I don't. Um, and then it's easy, you know, wow. because it's a habit, so you don't have to muster up all this mental energy around it. You know what you sound like, Gretchen, is like a pastor from <laughs> from a church. I mean, it really is. It's this It's this age-old issue that you can make the decision once and then just stick to it. Well, and this is a fascinating question, because what really drove me, what made me so curious was, 
over and over people, it's not that they didn't know what they wanted to do. They wanted to do it. They, right. they knew what would make a difference. They really wanted to. And sometimes people were able to stick to it, and sometimes they weren't. And sometimes they'd have a good habit, and it would vanish overnight, and they didn't know why. And sometimes a habit was formed pretty easily, mm. and they were puzzled. And so I really wanted to get out, well, why? What are the strategies that are people, or people are using, and what are the... And why is it that some people, some things work for some people and don't work for other people? Like the strategy of accountability. Having someone hold you accountable for some people is essential. Mm-hmm. But for some people, it's counterproductive. Mm. Some people do worse if they think someone's looking over their shoulder because they push against it. They're like, you can't tell me what to do. I'm the boss of me. You're telling me I need to show up at 10 a.m.? Well, watch me not do that. Somebody else, like, they need to know that they're gonna, if they don't show up at 10 a.m., somebody's going to be looking around for them. So you have to know yourself. And uh, customize first. it. Yeah, it's, you have to break your code, it seems like. Yes. And that is really the thing that I think that's the essential piece that a lot of habit experts kind of skip over, which I think is really important, which is there are 21 strategies we can use to make or break our habits. But the first thing you have to do is think about yourself and what kind of person are you and what works for you. Because the fact that it worked for Steve Jobs or your sister-in-law doesn't mean it's going to work for you. So you have to begin by saying, what kind of person am I? What is going to work for me? For instance, morning people, night people. And over and over you see this, this expert advice. If something's important to you, get up first and do it first thing in the morning. Get up mm-hmm. early and get it done. Well, this is good for morning people, but a sizable part of the population are night people. And this is largely genetically determined and a function of age. It's not like they just could turn into morning people if they'd go to sleep on time. And for them, they're just at their most creative and energetic and productive much later in the day. And the idea that they're going to get up early and do something like go for a run or write in their journal, it's just not a good idea for them because they could probably barely get to work or school on time. Right. Cause they're, but not because there's anything wrong with them. It's just that they're night people. So to form a habit successfully, they need to take that into account because it's not that some somebody's right and somebody's wrong or somebody's doing it the right way and you're doing it the wrong way. Because people will say things like, you shouldn't go to the gym after four. It's not good for you. It's like if that's what works for you then yeah. that's what works for you go whenever you go whenever what yeah whatever you can consistently do exactly and so and here's another way that it comes up is that what i found is that when it comes to facing a strong temptation something like uh, a really addictive video game or 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 like you know Thin mint cookies, you know, something yeah. that you really are tempted Girl by. Girl Scouts. Yeah, man, right? <laughs> right. Um, some people, I, I think they're abstainers and moderators. Abstainers are people who do better when they have none. They kind of are all or nothing people. They can have none, but once they start, they're going to have one thin mint cookie, they're going to have 11 thin mint cookies. They can't have one thin mint cookie. and But they find it pretty easy to have none. And then moderators are people who get kind of panicky and rebellious if they're told they can never have something. They like to have it a little bit or have it sometimes. And I'm an abstainer, and um, I found, and I have a tremendous sweet tooth, but I found that it's very easy for me to have none. Mm. Like, I, don't, I basically don't have any sugar now, and that is so easy for me. But I couldn't have a little bit. And, you know, you see this kind of like with couples where the husband's like, well, let's just keep ice cream in the freezer. And right. then like every couple nights maybe have a little bowl whenever you get. <laughs> and then the, and the wife is like, oh, my gosh, I, I, if it's there, I'm going to eat the whole thing right. tonight. And, and they kind of argue with each other, like who's right. And it's not that one person's right and one person's wrong. It's just that they both have trouble. It's like, how do they manage that temptation? So 
once you have a vocabulary for it, you can say, like, well, how are we going to, given that we're different, how do we create a situation that works for both of us instead of finger pointing and saying, you need to learn how to manage yourself better. Why can't you just have half a bowl? And the other person saying, like, you shouldn't have any. It's not healthy. You know, why are we oh, having yeah. it in the house anyway? You know. Well, I mean, it's so true. Man, you're, you're going to start a fight at my house, Gretchen, because oh, – no. Are you the abstainer or the moderator? I'm the moderator. Well, oh. I, I'm actually – I'm an abstainer. I need to abstain in order to survive and, and get healthier. But my wife is like, eh, everything in moderation. And I'm like, that's the problem. Yeah. I can't do it in moderation. And yet she's, she's the one that buys everything. Like I don't go shopping for the food. She does, and yet – it's all these things that I really should just be abstaining from. Well, one, I would say two things because that's super, that's super common, that situation. One is um, if you just make up your mind that you're going to abstain and you're like, it's like I'm not going to ever eat any potato chips at home. I'm never going to eat any ice cream at home. Like I have all this stuff at my house now and it doesn't bother me anymore because oh, wow. I never eat it. So sometimes you can just abstain or like maybe you'll have it when you're out with friends, you'll have go get an ice cream cone, but you're not going to eat it at home. Mm -hmm. That can work for some people. But also sometimes just like when they, people see it kind of explained in this way, yeah. then, then they can go to someone else and say like, I know you don't understand where I'm coming from. It's not your experience of the world. But I'm just pointing out like this page of a book. This is a real thing. <laughs> a lot of people feel this way. This is the way I feel. And probably your wife doesn't want you eating a lot of right. like sweets and junk food. And if you're just like, look, the thing is, it's really hard for me to have a, a little bit. I can't have a little bit. And that's just how some people are. Then, then I think it becomes easier to sort of have a calm discussion about it when it's not loaded with um, – you should be different. Exactly. You should be able to do this. Well, and it's, it seems like, too, like you said earlier, it, it gives us the same shared language. Yeah. And, and we can now get on the same page. Uh, yeah. um, talk about it because a lot of – it seems like our habits are always around a physical habit, um, you know, eating better, healthier, exercising. But really habits, they're, they're for everything, right? Just for even reading, for studying, for writing. Yes, Absolutely. Anything that is important to you, um, it's easier when it becomes a habit if it's something that you want to do on a consistent, regular basis. And, um, and I even, I, I, I'm such a believer in the power of habits that I, 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 I was trying to figure out how could I have the habit of doing things that were like one-time problems because I realized I had all these kind of little nagging tasks that were not urgent, so I was always procrastinating with them. But they needed to get done, but I couldn't have the habit of, like, fixing my office chair or the habit of, like, running to the hardware store to get that weird light bulb. Um, so I have the habit of power hour. So once a, I keep a list, and once a week for an hour, I do all those little nagging tasks. And I've also heard from people who do that as a couple. Like, they keep a power hour list as a couple, and then they spend an hour each weekend kind of cross. And it's amazing how much you can get done in an hour. And it doesn't feel so burdensome. You're like, eh, I can do anything for an hour. And you push, I, and you don't have to know exactly what you're going to do. You just save that hour. Just save that hour for all those. You know, there's just like a million things that mm -hmm. you're like, uh, I, you know, one of these days I should get around to cleaning out that, you know, what is it back there? I don't, or, you know, I should test that device and see if it's still working or does it just need new batteries. But like, or like I had a shredder that wasn't working and I'm like, well, maybe maybe it's actually broken, or maybe it's just like it's you know it's got unplugged, yeah. or like or maybe I need to like you know fiddle with it, and it's like ugh, I don't feel like doing it. Um, how long did it take me? Ten minutes, by the way, when I finally sat down to do it, and then you get that huge surge of energy that you get when you get something crossed off your list. Right. 
Yeah. So I think you can make just about anything into a habit. Reading to your children, you know, um, like one of the, of the 21 strategies, one of the most effective strategies is the strategy of monitoring, which is when we just know how much we do something, we tend to do a better job. Mm. So if you, if you want to be reading to your children, it's like, okay, you say that's important to you. How often do you actually do it? Well, keep track of it. And yeah. then and then maybe you're like, wow, I really do a pretty good job with this. Or maybe you're like, mm, I want to step up my game. And then post it. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Keep track it in some way. Mm. How did you how did you get uh, the habit of writing? I mean, I know you write, but you do your podcasts, you have a blog and stuff. I mean, talk about habits because that is now your profession. That's your job. Yeah. You used yeah. to be a lawyer, right? Are you yeah. still practicing? Now you, I'm a full-time writer. You got a better, happier life now. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so one of the things that I found out when I was writing the book that came as a huge kind of revelation to me was I identified um, these four tendencies. It's this framework that describes all of human divides all of humanity into four categories um, according to how they respond to expectations: outer expectations like work deadlines, and inner expectations like a New Year's resolution. And what came as a huge surprise to me was that, uh, so there's upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. And one of the things I learned about myself was that I am an upholder under my own framework, and, which is a very small category of people. Not that many people are in that, in that category. And the thing about upholders that's very distinctive is that it's pretty easy for them to form habits. And one of the things that has always puzzled me was people would say things like, how do you manage to write every day? And I'd be like, well, I don't know. I just, I just sit down and write. <laughs> and now I understand why. As an upholder, things like that are pretty easy. We don't battle with that too much. Hmm. But then other, other tendencies ha- come at it in a different way. So like obliger, which is the largest tendency, that's the one that the, biggest, the most people fit into, are people who readily meet outer expectations but struggle to meet inner expectations. So like a friend of I, 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 I got my insight into this when a friend of mine said, I don't understand it. When I was in high school, I was on the track team, and I never missed track practice, so why can't I go running now? And it's like, well, when you had a team and a coach waiting yeah. for you, you had no trouble, but now you can't because it's just your own expectation. So like, oh, I have no trouble exercising when I go to that class and my teacher's waiting, my instructor's waiting for me, and my friend is waiting for me, and I've paid for it. But if I'm just supposed to go for a run around my neighborhood, eh, it's yeah. not going to happen. Interesting. So then, so if, you, if there's an inner expectation that you can't meet, just give yourself outer accountability, and you'll be able to do it. And so by coming up with this framework, I really understood myself much better, and then also how other people were different and needed kind of different structures in place to help them stick to their good habits awesome. in a different way. Is this in the book better than better than before? Yes. Oh, yes. And there's also a quiz on my site. If you go to um, happiercast.com slash quiz, there's a quiz that you can take that will tell you whether you're an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, a rebel. And of everything in the book, I have to say, this is one of the things where people are like, oh, my gosh, at last everything is revealed to me. Or, like, I understand now why my husband... Um, always is asking me why, 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 why? <laughs> I'm like, yes, he's a questioner. Holy cow! Be quiet, you questioner. Yes, that is they, huge. What people uh, often complain? Exactly. Like you're asking too many questions. Talk about um, just so the average Joe sitting out there before yep. they have your book. Now that'll yep. obviously, but will be what they put on their list to make the first habit around living your book. Um, <laughs> but what 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 should they do to get started? Like. 
what's the first just the I call it the one thing that if that if we just do this one thing, a lot of our habits will change. Well, if I, if I had to say one thing, I would say of a habit that you would want to form, I would say sleep because one, most adults need seven hours of sleep, and if you don't get seven hours of sleep, it really it affects your mood, your memory, your your just your just sort of general self control. It's hard to have self mastery, the self mastery that we need to keep our good habits if we're exhausted. And I mean, I think everybody knows that feeling where you're so exhausted, you can't even be bothered to like put on your pajamas and wash your face and go to bed. So you stay up late, binge watching, you know, House of Cards, and then you're like in front of the fridge eating ice cream out of the container <laughs> at 1 a.m. And right. you're like, why did I not go to bed at 1030? You know, it's like it, it really, it just um, undermines the foundation. And I talk about that in the book. It's the strategy of foundation. It's the habits that are kind of, at the core of self-mastery, and so they deserve special attention because if you, if your foundation is strong, then it's going to be easier to do things like practice the guitar or, you know, go for a walk before, you know, at lunchtime. Right. Um, but if you're just exhausted, you feel overwhelmed, you feel drained. And also when we're exhausted, well, first of all, a lot of people think that they have trained themselves to get by on less sleep. But when researchers look at these people, they're quite impaired. So we kill <laughs> yeah. ourselves. We don't realize how off our game we are. And then also, um, you know, lack of sleep, it just, it makes it, you lose your sense of perspective, you lose your sense of humor, it's hard to make decisions. Everything seems hard. Yeah. You know, like making plans to go out after work with a friend, you're like, oh, I can't handle the email logistics that would require. Right. Even though you know it would make you happier to see this friend, you just sort of can't bear it. Or like, oh, it'd be fun to do this like little project with my kids, but I can't stand the thought of making the mess and cleaning it up. Right. You know, it's just too much work. It, yeah, Whereas it's if you're so well true. Rested, these things don't seem like a big deal at all. Man, Gretchen, I totally... It, it, and it, it that just totally resonates, and it's almost like you just described my entire life. Um, <laughs> it was perfect. It really was. Well, Gretchen, we appreciate you. Keep up the great work. work. Keep writing, for heaven's sakes, and keep figuring out what drives us to, to a state of higher happiness. Excellent. Well, thanks so much. It was so fun to talk to you. Thank you. GretchenRubin.com. Go check out the website and the book, of course, Better Than Before. Truly, folks, um, we, we got to do something, right? Start with our habits and a, a great place to go, GretchenRubin.com. We'll take a break, come back, visit our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's going to be on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, it's it's time to head down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Uh, Spencer, I know, is there. Jerem's on the way. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? Fantastic, Matt. How are you, man? I am doing great. How were, how was last night with the kidlets? It was really fun. It was cold in my was it? Halloween costume. Yeah, did, did you wear, wear did you jacket. wear the same jersey? I did. The tight jersey that you had when you were a 12-year-old? Uh-huh. How did... 
How did your circulation work? <laughs> my armpits hurt so bad. <laughs> Seriously. Like this morning I was like, oh man, my armpits have been chafed super, super harshly. <laughs> did, you, did you take video of you trying to get the shirt off? I did. In fact, uh... Uh, my wife did it on Facebook Live, and it got uh, quite the response. Oh, okay, I've got to go see that. I'm going to go find you. That's, <laughs> Look it up. Look it up on good Facebook. That's good video. Matt. Look up Spencer Linton uh, dying, taking off his jersey. Yeah. Okay, I got a question for you, Spence. Tonight, okay. uh, World Series game yes. six. Is that right? Yeah, three to two for Cleveland mm-hmm. over the Cubbies. Uh, do you have a pick here? I think the Cubs are going to force us to Game 7. Do you really? I really do. Yeah. <laughs> this series needs to go 7 games. It does. It's cool. It really does. It needs to go 7 games with all the history behind it and Cleveland not having won a World Series in 70-plus years and oh. Chicago not having won a World Series in 108 years. Like It's just it's really fun. This series deserves to go 7 but games. But then the pitching, that will be crazy in Game 7. Absolutely. Isn't that what you want, though? Exactly. You want chaos, right? I still really want to see somebody get hit by a 102-mile-an-hour fastball. By Araldus Chapman? Is that bad of me? <laughs> He's been somebody before. He, he grazed somebody, I think, in the game, didn't he, this last game? Yeah, just YouTube it. I'll just YouTube it. Oh, I bet it does exist. YouTube. But, YouTube. Aroldis Chapman beans somebody. But I heard that the ball, when you're hit by a 102-mile-an-hour fastball, actually goes all the way through you. Oh, it does— I don't know. I'm we'll pretty find sure. Out. I'll go. I'm looking it up. Um, so here's the here's the thing. I don't know if you heard this, but on Sunday, the b- baseball World Series baseball had 24 million viewers. NFL football had 18 million viewers. Yes, which makes sense, right? That's the World Series. Yes. Now, do you what on earth is happening to the NFL? Because their ratings. Are, are plummeting. Yeah, the, the ratings are plummeting. I think you reach a saturation point, right? Yeah. At some point. Like, the, the NFL has been so good for so long, and it's still going to garner, like, millions and millions yeah. of eyes. I mean, 18 eyes. Yeah, 18 million eyes, yeah. So, but you reach a saturation point, and the World Series is more compelling this year than it has been in a long time. Mm. The Cubs in the World Series, people that aren't baseball fans – know that the Cubs are the lovable losers, and it's covered by news media, not just sports news media. So people outside of the box will tune in just to be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to root for the team that hasn't won for 108 years because I feel bad for that team. Right, right. So that I don't know. I, I'm not knee-jerk reacting to this. Like If this trend continues for the NFL and ratings fall again next year, mm-hmm. then I would start to get concerned. But I, I don't know. I feel like with the start of basketball and college football, there's just more parity and more more options and Netflix originals. Like there there are <laughs> more true. eyeballs going to the 75 million other options that they have. No, exactly. I mean, I personally, I, I think I'd rather go back to my Netflix series than some of these teams and games. I I feel like I'm losing. I oh, but I'm telling you, college football I love more than ever. Yeah, yeah. me too. Yes. Hey, oh. Jerem's here. I was told we weren't doing this. I know. We <laughs> so weren't. I went and reviewed the open we, for Ken to kickoff. <laughs> no, we told you that. And then all of a sudden we're like, what? Well, we, we cannot not do it. How could we not be with you we guys? We can't not not do it. Mm-hmm. That's a double negative. Yeah. Hey, so, sorry, um, so you're going to pick tonight. You're saying you're going with Spencer that the Cubbies will make it, take it to game seven. Yes. Jerem, do you have a prediction for tonight's World Series? I hope it goes to seven. I, do I think that'd be compelling. And I want the Indians to win because I want this Cubs storyline to continue next year. Do you really? Yeah. 
But that's, they got to the World Series. That's the first step. I know, but they're the, really good. They're I, really I they'll, they'll and they'll be, be in There's next no year. Yeah, they'll be points. back. They'll but come back. I want it. To, I want it to keep going. Plus, they didn't win it in Chicago. Right. They'd right. be happy to win it. Trust me. But winning in Chicago would be epic. Boy, that would be epic. But two, see, three, two is a stinky format. It's it's also wasn't it Harry? What's is it Harry Carey? It was his Howie last. Holy cow! A one. A you know what? The, the boot is made of cheese. <laughs> Is that Will Ferrell doing Harry Carey? Yes, it is. <laughs> that's, no, that's Spencer Linton doing Will Ferrell, Will Ferrell doing, doing Harry Carey. <laughs> yes, yes, that's very accurate. <laughs> that is very good. But it's better than Bane doing Will Ferrell doing Bane Harry Carey. Doing Will do you want to try that? <laughs> do that, yeah, do that. Do you know that the moon is made of cheese? <laughs> yeah, it's not the same. He speaks so high. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the same. All right, so guys, you're 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 gonna still do your show today, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I was told we're still doing our show. Yeah, your, your so show hasn't gone anywhere. <laughs> My show just took a little deviation for a minute. What uh, what's on your show today? Basketball Jones. Basketball Jones. I got a basketball, Mika. That's right. West Coast <gasps> Conference Mika. preseason polls are out, Matt Towns. What's up? BYU picked to finish third. We want to know how BYU fans feel third? about that. Get in touch with your emotions. Come on. How do you feel about BYU being picked to finish honest. third? And why, <laughs> honestly, you shouldn't be surprised in the least that they were picked to finish third. Really? It's not. A, it should not be a surprise at all. Why? Because of anti-BYU sentiment or because <laughs> of the other teams are so well, good? This isn't the Pac-12. This okay, is oh, that's conference. right. Because of common A like-minded common institution okay. with Christian values. Yes. I get you. Yeah. That's my Lou Holtz, by the way. Yeah. Plus Bill Bender of the uh, Sporting News, who mm-hmm. doesn't speak like Lou Holtz. Good. Uh, Blaine Fowler will join us as well. And, and another uh, Between the Lines, this time uh, Kate Hansen. Uh, gives the mic to Butch Powell. Yes, which wow. is athlete awesome. undercover. Under- Athletes undercover. Cover. Great series. It's fantastic. That's a great series. Mm-hmm. It's better than what we're doing, so we're really excited about it. Yeah, <laughs> way to take her lead. You guys need to. You, you might need to pick up your game now. You know. Um, well, we try. Fun. We try and do that every day. Yeah, but... we're trying hard. Yeah, like Bronco said, we're trying hard. Does Ben does Ben keep trying to bring your game up? Like do, when you guys sit down and have you try meetings, and reach Ben. Do, I, it's, yeah, like, you try to reach ben, Ben's level. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know that feeling. Ben, how's it? How's the weather up there? Yeah, we really just just go give Ben a hug because we told Ben we weren't doing this, and then all of a sudden we showed up and said, "Hey, Ben, can we do it?" And Ben, the professional that he is, he, is. he made it happen. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, no, Ben came and found me because I heard yeah. no crosstalk, and then yeah. he's like, I need you to do crosstalk. Then like, he okay. said, and he told me Jaron was in the restroom, so. I, I, so there you I have reviewed it. the open for Countdown to kick off the pregame show. <laughs> oh, is that what I'm it? never gone. The one day, so I'm told no crosstalk, I bounce for the first time ever. I'm not, like, just hanging around. Yeah, you went, you had to go to the Actually, restroom. Well, I got a text from the editor, and he's like, hey, you want to review the open? I was like, let's do it now. If you have something. Let's do that. Let's get that thing done. Jaron was maximizing his time. And, and I did not approve it. He needs to add some clips. Oh, man. Yeah. So You guys, so I'm smart. telling you, you are the consummate professionals. Oh, I don't know about I, that. We don't agree with that, but we appreciate it. Well, let's just say you are the consummate. Thank We're the you. consummate. Thank you. Fill in the blanks. Um, by the way, today, I forgot to tell you, um, is, guess what day we're celebrating? It's Calzone. It's, oh, it's Calzone Day? National Calzone. Calzone. Day. Be hard to find uh, 
good one around these parts. Who's that, that uh, chef on the Food Network? Boyardee. G- is it... Uh, Kelsey Nixon, formerly of Giada. iProvo. It's Giada yes. De La Rentis or uh-huh. something. When you said calzone, if you listen to her, she speak says. normal English, and then when she says an Italian word, it's like it becomes like this totally new pre- presentation. Totally. It drives me crazy. I know. It drives me loco. Yeah, we're going to make some really delicious <laughs> linguine today. <laughs> linguine. <laughs> hey, do you want to play uh, Mario Kart with me later? <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah, everybody <laughs> goes <laughs> Italian. <laughs> yeah, that drives me crazy. Come on. It's linguine. Uh, where'd you get your yeah, mushroom? I, I think I'm going to some country named Chile. <laughs> Chile. What? You oh, mean I chili? Just, I love the way that this prosciutto tastes. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> what are you talking about? She's you very mean good at bruschetta? her job, but it's just like that one. I Maria, that drives me absolutely bonkers. <laughs> oh my heavens! I think I've lit a wildfire. Sorry, boys. Lo siento. <laughs> well, I have to catch myself when I go to a Korean restaurant that I don't do that. Okay, give me so one. Give me one like phrase in Korean, and we'll let you go. One phrase but in Korean. I want you to say the Korean phrase in an Italian accent. <laughs> That's amore. <laughs> Every foreign language that I speak sounds like Korean by default. Okay, but just pull a Korean Italian accent. You want me to try and just, say something in Korean mm-hmm. in Italian? Uh-huh. But not in the Bane voice. <laughs> oh my as goodness. Bane, as Will Ferrell, <laughs> as, as Harry Carey. <laughs> That is horrible. (laughs) That is horrible. Yeah, you can't mix Korean language and Italian. It doesn't work. Doesn't work. We just proved the point. (laughs) All right, boys. Have a great show. Knock them dead. Thank you. Peace out. That's a great point. Because, uh, you know, I'm telling you. You get you throw it at these boys. They're such professionals. They bring it down. They make it happen. We'll take a quick break. Come back. Wrap up the show, my friends, with the hero of the day. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, as you know, we always like to wrap up the show with a little hope, a little a little sunlight. And uh, what better way to do that than to talk about our hero of the day? The hero of the day comes from CBSNews.com. Professor allows their young mother to bring a newborn baby to class. Listen to this story. When college professor Josie Ryan learned one of her students was pregnant, she did everything she could to ensure the young woman wouldn't drop out of class. The math professor at Lander University in Greenwood, South Carolina, knew school was important to Sarah Thompson, a mathematics and computer science major. But with a full course load, a job, and a baby on the way, Ryan was afraid that she would be overwhelmed. So she told Thompson a week before her due date that she was welcome to bring her child to class anytime she wanted to. She knew I'd be so overwhelmed. I literally, so I literally begged, she begged me to bring Isaiah to class and even showed me where the breastfeeding room was in the health center just to make sure I could do it. Um, women are on the rise going to school, the Thompson, the professor said, and working with children, Thompson said. And my boyfriend and Chris is also in school We're working as we learn to be parents and our families are being beyond supportive of my decision to graduate within the first year of my child's birth. So guess what? A college professor made it possible for a, a desiring mother who wants a college degree to make it a reality. Powerful, powerful example, folks. How many times have you had a college professor that would go out of their way to make sure you could graduate from school? How cool is that? So there you have it. 
Josie Ryan, you are the hero of the day. Thanks for being not just a great educator, but one that cares and one that uh, lifts the rest of the world because you do care. That's the goal of all of us, folks. Uh, we, we can lift the world by just being there, by noticing the needs of others and uh, helping them make their dreams come true. That's the show. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more information to help you lift your life higher and to a better plane. Stick with us. Until tomorrow, make it a great one, and we'll talk tomorrow.